Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Stacks. Uh, this is Jay. I should say something. I should say my name. I should just say my name. It's just a podcast. I've done this 50 times. All I have to do is just say, this is Shanna. But why did I come? What, am I, I'm not ready for this. I don't know what I'm doing. I, I'm Shanna. As it happens, we have errors and sins of omission. Just a really brief one, because when oh. I was editing last week's podcast, I realized that when I was talking about the Shining miniseries, I was and mentioning the other Stephen King series. For some reason, I said, The Shining, you know, that's the one acclaimed one. And then, like, later in the sentence, I mentioned how The Shining is a later awful one. I, of course, meant The Stand is the classic one. Oh, <laughs> okay. That, that makes that makes more sense. Yeah, the, the Stand is still pretty well respected. And, you know, they've even done a new miniseries of it that I hear is, I don't know, it's okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, but this week, we're talking about the great 2002 Spike Jones film adaptation, a film about screenwriting techniques and ways of living and passion and flowers, or maybe a burlesque on Hollywood rights acquisition. Uh, I don't know if it's, a, I think it's about all of those things, but I don't know if it's about any of them. It's about it's everything. Everything. It's it's a movie about the making of itself. Well, sort of. I mean, in in a way that that's something that has literally. It's it's a movie about the writing of itself, uh, but it's also like so. Susan Orlean's book, The Orchid Thief, which this is an adaptation of, sort of. <laughs> sort of now is this a real book yes it is okay because i saw at the bottom like based on this book and i'm like wait so this is based on a book yeah and it is a true story and uh so it, it's this book by susan orlean and in her book she sort of inserted herself into it and it's just sort of her perspective on a story and that's kind of the genesis of this. This sort of has to build from that point. And like, how do you make that into a movie? Well, I guess the best way to adapt a story where the author inserted themselves into someone else's story is, to is another authorial sentence. Yeah. To your story of their story of this other guy's story. Yeah. I mean, uh, why not make it more masturbatory? I mean, that's sort of the point. <laughs> Uh, a, a lot of things to think about there, <laughs> and we'll, we'll we'll sort of get into all of those as as it sort of sets them all up. It's a very strange screenplay that's about screenwriting and sort of debating methods of screenwriting and how stories are told. Um, okay, so <clears throat> if it's based on a true story, that's a not lot of it. the end until uh, I'm, I'm... the final act. Yeah, well. There, there's a this sort of weaves in and out of reality. Uh, notably, so we, we open with just the voiceover over Black with just Nicolas Cage as Charlie Kaufman, the the screenwriter who's a real guy. He's won Oscars. He uh, he he most famously before this wrote uh, Being John Malkovich. I think he also wrote uh, Human Nature. The okay. The uh, the Michelle Gondry film. I haven't actually seen that. Oh, well, I haven't seen Being John Malkovich either. 
Right. And and then he went on to write and direct a few movies. He did Synecdoche, New York, Anomalisa, which I have not seen yet, but is in the stacks, actually pretty near the top of something. Uh, and that's his animated film, Ooh. a stop motion one. And uh, his most recent one was, uh, oh, it, it was really big when it came out. Something has a, uh, I cannot remember. Anyway, th- this one, screenplay by Charlie Kaufman and Donald Kaufman. <laughs> yeah, but doesn't Donald Kaufman, like, not exist? He does not exist. He's not a real, <laughs> he, he's an invention for the film. Uh, and, and that's sort of a, a really key pivot point in this movie. <laughs> this movie kind of makes fun of me, actually. <laughs> I kind of love him. He's so I, adorable. I know. So, so one thing is that we—I don't know if we've talked about this on the show before, but mm. Nicolas Cage is one of my favorite actors of all time. He rules. Not necessarily because he's the best, although he kind of hides his talent. I think. I think he could just—he can still always surprise you. But he's a brilliant getting, actor. Yeah, he, like in in his in in like his early critically appreciated days, he was like like really really huge and interesting, and he still does all of that same stuff. It's just he doesn't do it in prestige movies anymore, for the most part. He's kind of getting back to those. Well, yeah, he's kind of he's kind of all over the place, and, and when you go into a Nicolas Cage movie. The only thing you know for sure is you're going to be entertained. Well, usually I've it. seen some. There, there's like maybe two or three. There's a couple, but yeah. usually you're going to get entertained. I mean, you'll usually you have Nicolas Cage and, yeah. and there's just there's always going to be something to that performance, even if everything else in the movie is talk shit. But you never know what kind of Nicolas Cage performance no. you're going to get. And, and sometimes he'll still bust out a new one that you've never seen before. Um, and this one you get two. This one you two. get two for the price of one. And, and, and you get to have them arguing with each other. In, in fact, most of Donald's appearances are alongside uh, Charlie. You, know, you don't re- often see him on his own, so he's only you ever much only arguing with himself. You pretty much only do. And I think that's sort of a key thing in that he's sort of an alter ego as well as being like personified as the twin brother but he's sort of like the the id you know he he's the more successful version of charlie kaufman who's willing to sell out and just do uh the the robert mckee storyline you know oh my god his movie i want that movie to be made because it's impossible okay but it's basically the ward John Carpenter's The Ward is the three, except it's like nine. It's the nine. It's fucking terrible. <laughs> no, yeah. that movie's impossible. You can't make that movie. They made Which that movie, like... and it is impossible, and it makes no sense, and it's terrible. It's a disaster. Oh. I okay. kind of wonder if maybe John Carpenter saw this <laughs> and was like, I could do that. I could make that work. And he... Sort of did, I guess. I mean, he made it. (laughs) He didn't make it work. (laughs) Well, you kind of can't. Well, uh, I don't know. I don't. I mean, there, there's also Identity, which is also that movie. 
uh, and came out after this, I think. That one sort of worked. I mean, it, it was a trashier one, but I remember it being kind of fun. So it's a, it's a concept that actually has been made a couple times since then, which is really funny to me. <laughs> well, I guess Fight Club is that. Spoilers. Well, and also this movie is kind well, of Well, this that. movie is kind of that, too, because... Well, we'll yeah, I mean, there, there's, yeah, there's a is... lot of it. There, there's a few points in this movie where it says everything that the movie's going to not do, and then it does all of them. <laughs> and there will be a bunch of things that Charlie Kaufman says he won't do or says that he hates that end up being a part of the script. Oh, yeah. Or, or stuff that has already happened in the film, but you see him get the idea and then say, no, that's stupid. I can't put it in. It's very recursive. Yeah. And so, again, like we, we open with this voiceover. Which I, I remember you you messaged the group chat and were like, I could stand just this being the entire movie. Just Nicolas Cage um, complaining, complaining, but but it can't be in a podcast form. It has to be something that you paid to go to a movie theater to see, and just it's got to be just black a, a black screen, like like Derek Jarman's a... blue, just the blue screen and him talking. Oh, I never heard of that. Oh, uh, that is also in the stacks. Uh, very important film uh derek jarman was dying of aids at the time and he's like a major art film director in the 80s uh so it's him just kind of talking out all of his stuff because like he just did not have the energy left to make like a film but you know he could talk over blue it's incredible okay. yeah cool. very important movie yeah wow but this one, you know, over black, and he's just complaining about how bored he is, about his professional dissatisfaction, about his fat ass, and that he's going bald. <laughs> she doesn't know I'm bald. Maybe she she's looking at my hairline. If I had more hair, I'd be happy. If I didn't have a fat ass, I'd be happy. I'd be happier if... And, and it's that, but of course, I'm not doing justice because only Nicolas Cage can really do Nicolas Cage... Yeah, and it's, it's it's a lot of that. It's probably about five, four or five minutes of that as the opening credits are playing. Yeah, just the the solid monologue about just his his inner inner monologue, just the the anxiety speaking. This is very very much a movie about anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> it so is I. Um, one thing one thing Cage did this time that surprised me that. I don't he hasn't done this before as I saw myself in this character. Yeah. A yeah, little there, bit. There's a lot of things that you can relate to with this one. I think with both of them, both Charlie oh, yeah. and Donald, there's a lot of things that I find really interesting and relatable. Uh so the first thing we see with actual footage is on-set footage of being John Malkovich with uh John Malkovich being like, these masks are very hot. Can we please get this over with? Yeah. And he's just standing there, um, not really sure what to be doing and every, like what he's supposed to be doing there. No one is sure what he's supposed to be doing there. And it's like, hey, can, can you get out of the shot, please? Yeah, Let's he's in the eye line. Yeah. Um, I don't know what that means, but it, I guess it means he's not supposed to be standing where he is. Yeah. And so he gets kicked off the set, basically. And he's like, how did I get here? And then, 
And then we go flashback, like smash cut to four billion and ninety four years ago. And just molten early Hollywood. We got dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, ho- oh, yeah. That's right. It's Hollywood four billion and ninety four years ago. Yeah, and it's it's just molten lava, and we see basically all of history. We we see dinosaurs. We see the rise of man. We we just see like an a big supercut until the live birth of Charlie Kaufman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, we see like all the stuff like the flowers blooming in fast motion, dinosaurs dying out, um, uh, comet. It's um, the tree of life. Fox decaying. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, we, um, we, we see all of life basically. Basically. And we we see a baby being born. Uh, yeah, and, that, that uh, shot just comes right at you after all this. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, and then we cut to Charlie. In the present, sweating profusely, thinking, my leg hurts. Wonder if it's cancer. Stop sweating. You're sweating too much. <laughs> <laughs> He's talking to uh, Valerie, who I believe is played by Tilda Swinton. Correct. Um, she's great. She's great. Uh, she it, she wants him to adapt this book called The Orchid Thief by Susan Olean. And... Uh, She's like, I thought John and Susan could fall in. He just goes off on this whole thing after he just went off in his own mind. I've got a whole bunch of stuff on this conversation because it's amazing. There, like, this is so key to the oh, whole movie. Oh, okay, okay. Um, all right, then tell me what you got because I. <laughs> so first, like, she's praising the Being John Malkovich script, and she's like, "I'd sure love a portal into your brain." So Being John Malkovich, which you haven't seen, it's yeah. about this weird building where they find a portal like a door and you go through the door and then you're in John Malkovich's head, like the actor, John Malkovich. And then like, you can kind of live his life. And, uh, some people put the bunny back in the box. You can start to control him if you've done it a lot. Oh my God. It's a very weird movie, quite unique. And so she's like, I'd sure love a portal into your brain. He's like, trust me, it's no fun. <laughs> it's no fun, yeah. And it sure isn't. No. <laughs> this this movie is a portal this into his brain. This movie is a portal into his brain. We've been all we've seen so far has been his brain. But like it it's key. Every single thing that he says in this conversation is this movie, is what this movie is. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Of course. So first, Susan Orlean. Yeah, yeah, Susan Orlean's *The Orchid Thief*. She is a real person, and it is a real book. Uh, And uh, John LaRoche is a real person that she wrote about. He he is interesting. Fascinating, but Um, that's the weird thing. He is the story of the book. It's just there's not enough there for the book to be adapted as just being about LaRoche. There's just not enough there. Because most of it's about Susan Orlean and how she reacts to it. So then, for this, how do you make that into a movie? And you can't. Well, you could. Well, you can make this. It's exactly. It's hard. That's why much later, when we see Tilda Swinton again uh, talking to Susan Orlean as, or Meryl Streep as Susan Orlean. Great, by the way. She, she... I'm sure she won an Oscar for it. 
<laughs> she did not. I don't think she got even nominated. For, well, maybe. I don't believe you. I can't remember. Uh, I definitely watched the Oscars this year, and I saw this movie in theater. I don't know. Oh, oh, as this year as in 2002. I thought you 2002. Had... No, I did not watch them this year. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, we skipped the Oscars last time. Well, I didn't see any movies. I didn't see yeah. any movies. Uh, anyway. <laughs> I think I'm done with that scene. So, like, Susan Orlean, uh, when she's talking to Valerie uh, in a flashback, but much later in the movie, uh, she's she thinks it's absolutely hilarious that she wants the movie rights. Because she knows that it's completely unadaptable. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but so he's he's telling her what his vision of the movie is, but all he's saying is things that it's not going to be because he has no idea what it's going to be. Because like, how do you make it into a movie? So he's like, I just want to make it its own thing, not like a heist movie or something. And he gets <laughs> this list of things he won't do. <laughs> I don't want to so have like, them fall in love. I don't want them to yeah, learn anything. I, I have the whole line. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. I don't want to cram in sex, guns, or car chases, or characters learning profound life lessons, or growing, or coming to like each other, or overcoming obstacles to succeed in the end. <laughs> and then he says, I feel very strongly about this. Uh, and all of those things are what are in this movie. That is the entirety of the movie. Uh, and well, yeah. he also says, and I won't, I'm not going to do a thing where like orchids become like poppies and we make it a movie about drug running. <laughs> uh, I do right? have upstairs neighbors. <laughs> wow. Okay. All right. Yeah. So then we, so we get Streep as Orlean. So we flash back to. And, and this is another thing. This movie is constantly breaking all screenwriting rules. We have we flash back. We flash forward. We break the fourth wall. We we have flashbacks within flashbacks within flashbacks. You kind of just have to accept that stuff is just happening and you're going to have to put it together yourself. Well, that's what's kind of great about it is it's breaking all of these rules to demonstrate that these rules can all be broken, that you don't need to follow them. But oh, it also sort it. of uses a lot of the rules to kind of make it work. Like it it kind of adds little bits of those rules to, to kind of build some structure around it. It's very interesting. I just love the part where he's like uh... – no voiceover. Oh my god, he'd kill me. But how else can I kill? Ah, <laughs> oh, fuck it. Voiceover it is. So we we go back to Streep as Susan Orlean three years earlier while she's writing the book, and then flashback two years again to her flashback within this flashback of the thieves in the Florida swamps led by Chris Cooper as John LaRoche. Also a great performance. I think he might actually have won Best Supporting Actor this year. Oh, really? Like, I, I think be... this might have been a winning performance. Because it was definitely nominated. But for the. He is basically the main character of this story. In yeah, he completely is. Uh, I, I remember distinctly because the Oscar clip was the car crash. Oh, yeah. And and that scene, like when I had seen it in theater, had really like shocked me. So I was like, oh, my God, again, <laughs> we'll we'll get to that quite a bit later. I think. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. 
but yeah, so this is already like right here where like four deep flashbacks. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and so he's going after the ghost orchid, which is the the sort of mul- uh, uh, what's the word? Uh, the mulligan is not the word. You know, oh, MacGuffin. 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 Yeah, it's it's sort of the MacGuffin of this film, the the ghost orchid, because or or it's sort of representative of a just a passion that is absent to it's someone. Everybody's different MacGuffin. They're all chasing the orchid. They think they're chasing a flower, but they're all chasing something completely different. Yes. And 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 the orchid for most of them when they well for all of them when they find the orchid they didn't find what they were looking for no well maybe laroche did at least briefly yeah briefly yeah Uh, what a guy man strange life i'd love to watch a movie about this guy (laughs) well like you need to do a documentary about this guy you couldn't really just make a movie about him no because then it would turn into this yeah because, you know, it, it becomes the documentary because you become the documentarian within it. So he's in Fakahatchee State Park. I thought initially that this might not be a real place and it's just Fakahatchee because th- th- this oh. is where the big climax of the movie takes place. But I looked it up and it is actually real. OK. Um, yeah, but, yeah, I thought the whole thing <laughs> with uh, with that and the First Nation stuff would have been made up, but. But yeah, no, totally real. That that okay. stuff is real. So they they get picked up by this ranger, a, a park ranger, and they've got all of these pillowcases where they've collect around 130 endangered plants. <laughs> yep. But and, like, and, he, oh, sorry, go ahead. And uh, the ranger's like, like, oh well, this is you're not really allowed to be taking things out. And he and Laroche is just not even worried at all. He's like, oh well, you know, uh. The, these First Nations people, they've got the rights to the land. Well, they specifically, can do whatever they want. Specifically, they're Seminoles. Uh, so it's it's the Seminole tribe, and they specifically have particular rights that they can't be prosecuted for uh, removing endangered plants from wetlands. Like this, there's there's precedence for this. Right. And yeah, and he's talking about, uh, and he mentions that to the ranger. Yeah, because uh, I guess one of them earlier, there was a case where one had shot a panther or something. I can't remember exactly what it was. And there, there was something about uh, removing a plant from a state park as well. Uh-huh. And uh, just something for building huts. Where, which oh, they, yeah, they the kinda, tricky huts. Yeah. <laughs> uh, chicky huts. huts. Yep, that's right. Uh, and so we, we cut. <laughs> what the fuck's a chicky hut? I love it. I think it might have been just a mispronunciation of Tiki Hut. Because <laughs> they're just making shit up. <laughs> oh, it's absolutely made up. I love it. Yeah. They're, they're just, you know, they, they know how to play the system. And so then we cut forward. This is constantly jumping around. So I have really extensive notes on this one because it, it would be impossible to talk about it otherwise because it's no structure. <laughs> None. None. <laughs> Until like, the it's, very it's, end. It kind of turns into a three-act structure for just in time for the third act yeah when, in, in uh, a really weird way yeah uh and they well, and i only know this because they basically introduce the third act yeah they announce it it's like okay we're gonna write a third act <laughs> more or less <laughs> and it's gonna be some crazy bullshit 
Uh, so this is where we are introduced to Donald, uh, who has decided to become a screenwriter like you. <laughs> <laughs> so Donald is Nicolas Cage's uh, twin brother. Um, his back hurts. And uh, yeah. he has been staying at, uh, Calf- at uh, Charlie's place for an indeterminate amount of time. Yeah, he's been there for a while, and he wants 300 bucks to take a three-day seminar in screenwriting, which Charlie's like, that's a scam. Yeah, and I love the scene where he where he says it. He's like, let me explain something to you, Donald. All of these writers and authors oh, – and Donald's just like, okay, okay, well, hold on. Let me just lie down while you explain it to me because, oh, my back. Okay. Oh, there we – okay, go ahead. Ooh, oh, oh, okay, okay, go. So there's like a whole weird thing in this movie where for the first bunch of scenes that we see Donald and Charlie, Donald is completely horizontal and Charlie is upright. And then a little bit later, it switches and Charlie is constantly horizontal and Donald is upright while his script is taking off. Mm, Okay. (laughs) But yeah, kind of just a a weird thing that I noticed this time watching it. Uh, So he's like, well, I know most are, but this guy's respected in the industry and a Fulbright scholar. We're we're talking about Robert McKee here. And Charles like, don't say industry. (laughs) Are (laughs) you a Fulbright scholar? Yeah. He's like, are you a former Fulbright scholar? This is in response to writing is a journey into the unknown. (laughs) (laughs) So there, there's a few things here, a few quotes in this sort of interchange. Uh, uh, Charlie's like, there are no rules. So anyone who tells you there are, and Don's like, not rules, principles. Principles. <laughs> uh, and then they're talking about his script. He's like, nobody's even made a movie about flowers before. He's like, what Which about is... flowers for Algernon? <laughs> not about <That's>... flowers. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm sorry. I never saw it. So yeah, also that's not the title of the movie. It's the title of the book. Uh, oh, okay. It, it was <laughs> made. The movie it was made into was named Charlie. Uh, <laughs> you know, Flowers for Algernon, right? Ah, uh, the name rings a bell, but no, I don't. I don't think I've read it. Uh, so it's it's a story that's sort of really commonly told. So you're probably familiar with it in maybe a sitcom adapted form. There was a Simpsons probably. episode based on it. Oh, uh, probably then. So the Simpsons episode is the one where Homer puts the crayon all the way up his nose into his brain and becomes smart. And becoming smart, he is kind of more able to fit in, but he finds himself unhappy uh, and he ultimately decides to go back to being dumb. Hmm, That's sort of what it's about. So also kind of an interesting parallel here and one to bring up because this is a movie where someone is very concerned with doing something smart and doing something the right way and it slowly turns into something dumb but not like it kind of just gradually is like okay i'm just going to accept all of these things and make it the way that i don't want to make it and the screenplay or the screen version of Flowers for Algernon is called Charlie. Yeah, Charlie, uh, C-H-A-R-L-Y. Oh, and the R is backwards. <laughs> of course. Good movie. But yeah, it's it's called Charlie. So I, I think a lot of interesting elements to that there. 
that's not a random movie that, uh, no. that the writer that the writer just picked for Donald to say. No, no, definitely not. <laughs> like that's an interesting thing about this movie is there's so many little threads that you can pick at. <laughs> yes. Oh my god. So we we go to, we we see his uh, girlfriend or wannabe girlfriend Emma, hey. Amelia. Not girlfriend, and that's the problem. Yeah, he's having drinks with her, and she's interested, but he is incapable of making a pass. Yep, yep, he's... Oh, man. Uh, well, like... She's into him, like, clearly, She's into him, obviously. It's, it's so... This is an interesting element of this. It's writer's block and sexual inadequacy on, like, a parallel. They're They're... They're really closely tied together in this. He's got this writer's block. He's got these sexual inadequacies. They're both this thing that he just kind of can't uh, commit to a thing. He can't, like, get out there and do something. And, mm-hmm. like, notably, it's very masturbatory writing that he's doing. It's a very <laughs> masturbatory concept. And we frequently see him masturbating. <laughs> hey. Almost, well, not quite as much as the subject of our second film, but a fair no, bit. But we see it a yeah, lot. Yeah. A lot more than uh, most movies. Well, I'm like, because I'd completely forgotten about a lot of this. So it was really surprising to have this. Uh, I, I'd forgotten about these elements in the one I was watching. It's like, oh man, this is kind of a funny pairing. <laughs> so our, mm. our second film preview is uh, The Masturbating Gunman, if you did not notice the title. They have more in common than i would have thought it's true it's true so we see him struggling with his writer's block we we see him sit down to the typewriter and he's like i should write something first then reward myself with coffee and oh my god i relate to this <laughs> oh man <laughs> Ooh, you just sit me. down and nothing I'm like, well i gotta write something first but or but yeah and you, he's like well no i'll have coffee so i can get myself into it and just the the way you psych yourself out in those things and mm-hmm. we we have a lot of parallels we're always sort of flashing back to orlean's situation while she's writing the novel versus his experience of writing the adaptation of the novel and so we flash back to her writing it and we get this history of orchid hunting and orchid hunters uh, through time and worldwide, you know, kind of the go back to the beginning of history of this story. Right. And it's kind of a fun <laughs> montage. We we have all of the people getting killed for stealing orchids. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. That was one another one of those uh, scenes that was just like, okay, I guess I'm just along for a ride here. You're yeah, very lightning fast. Yeah. He's gonna like, okay, we're we're gonna see how orchid hunting has gone in the past. Uh, and she goes to LaRoche's trial where he has a really ridiculous testimony. One of the things he says is I'm the smartest man, smartest person I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but he does, he does know his shit though. Uh, yeah. Well, to a certain extent there, like he, he has expertise that's very specialized in certain areas because he has these mini obsessions but we'll we'll sort of get to that a little bit later because there's a yeah. few things about that but she approaches him about doing this new yorker article and he's sort of into it but he's really gruff mm-hmm. and then we we cut back to 
Kaufman writing the intro of John LaRoche and we see on the the typewriter basically we're we're seeing the scene that we just watched. Yeah. And he's like I need a break. <laughs> <laughs> uh and then we have another scene with Amelia where he blows it again. <laughs> oh, um where he, where he's where driving she, her home. Yeah, he drives her home and she invites her in or she invites him into her place. And he's just like, oh, I can't. I have a, 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 a thing. I should get I should get to bed. Really been struggling with the script. Otherwise, it'd stay out. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. And she's she's pretty done with it. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, she's he, like, he's like, well, what about I can't like Sunday yeah, or whatever. She's well, like, no, he's he invites her on the trip to the orchid show. That's what it was. Yes. But she's not into it. She's like, no, I don't think so, Charlie. This is not going anywhere. Uh, and she goes in and there's this pause. And this is such a great bit. He's like, I should run in and kiss her. I'm going to do that right now. And then he immediately just like puts the car into drive and drives away. Yep. yep. Instantly. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, we don't see her again for quite a while. For quite a while. And I kind of feel like maybe she's only brought back for the purposes of the tie-up ending (laughs) probably yeah uh so we also see laroche driving he's a very dangerous driver which is also a bit of foreshadowing and we see him driving streep around i guess florida or miami and talking about his obsession with the ghost orchid yeah um is it's now is this just where he's talking about the ghost orchid or has he started talking about his turtle thing yet that's much later oh that's quite a bit later i think or actually not a lot later but yeah there's a a few scenes where he's driving around talking about yes Uh, and this is this is where we get why orchids are the sexiest flower uh because it's derived from orcus for the testicles (laughs) 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 uh oh yeah i i have in my notes here that that, still at this point donald is always horizontal uh, and he's yeah, always he has... eating. He's also always eating. I haven't noticed that. <laughs> I, I feel like it's sort of just a commentary on him as a house guest. That he's just always on his back and eating. Oh, yeah. The, the whole, um, I ate the shrimp uh, in the fridge. Was it right. yours? I couldn't remember, so I ate it. <laughs> and he's saying, it like, oh, I'm pitching a screenplay tomorrow. Don't say pitch. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And this is where I think this might be that same scene. And he's he's at the table reading Robert McKee's story, which is a real book. Robert McKee's a real guy, too. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, and he's talking about his script, which doesn't have a name yet. But he's like, it's like Silence of the Lambs meets Psycho. <laughs> <laughs> oh, which, man. Uh, so Donald's you know. script the three evolves throughout the whole movie and just turns into this thing that is completely un it, it doesn't make sense it's did like you, it's but in a beautiful way did you watch uh through the end credits oh uh, no was there a, a there's stinger? a quote there's a quote from the three as a stinger i i have it written down i even took a photograph of it so. oh no i didn't see it <laughs> i'll 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 uh, mention it when we get to the end, but I I really loved it. Uh, so we this is where we get Orlean going to the Seminole Nursery, and we she meets this weird guy there. 
oh yeah she's like he's like i can see your sadness it's lovely but he won't talk to her yeah yeah it's the indian way yeah (laughs) right right (laughs) we later find out this guy was really fucking high or was he because again that's actually yeah yeah good point he which version um is this happening in yeah that might just be the reading of it that we get from later but yeah i'm not sure he he may just be mysterious and weird or may have just been fucking with her (laughs) could be i'd say that's probably the most likely one and and then we have laroche really kind of mansplaining he's going on about darwin and moths and shit and she knows this stuff she's like yeah and he gets kind of offended that she knows it (laughs) he's like come on dude and he is kind of a dick like that sometimes that's sort of an element of his character i guess he's really up and down yeah he's fascinating but he's also annoying i guess he doesn't I mean, I shut guess up. He's he's like those people who end up being weird news stories, you know. And he is he, like he's literally one of those guys. But it's you know it's like well, he's the, Florida the, man. Well, he well he he literally is Florida man. But he's yeah. also like you know the the hitchhiking hatchet guy who saved someone but then also murdered someone. It's oh, yeah. no the the reason they end up on the news is because there's a level of mania there that kind of propels them to the spotlight in one way or another and you know it might be one way and then another right 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 but he hits on a really interesting point here where he's talking about soulmate flowers and the symbiotic love making and we we have these shots of the bees and the like bee orchids the bee orchids which are these flowers i don't know if they're real or not but they, they look have no idea i kind of like bees and we see the bees fucking the shit out of these flowers kind of like it's it's pollination but there it's shot like fucking yeah well it's kind of shot like a perfume commercial it's very sexy (laughs) (laughs) and he has this kind of really beautiful statement where he's saying the only barometer you have is your heart when you spot your flower you hold on no matter what Uh and this is sort of like an instant smash cut into this wine party with a bunch of new yorker intellectuals who are all laughing about laroche and his missing front teeth uh to susan orlean and, and she's, she's just kind of like ha ha yeah he sucks ha 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 yeah she kind of like she's just like oh i i don't like to laugh at him and stuff and she's talking about her own passion which is wanting to know what it feels like to care about something passionately she just kind of doesn't get passion i yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I get that. I, yeah, I, I kind of get, get it. Not and getting that. And that's, again, kind of what this movie is about, because it's about this emptiness at the center. And it's like, well, he, like, again, why is he writing this novel? What, what is it that he's trying to or why is he making this adaptation of this uh, novel? Like, what is it at the center of it that he wants to convey to people? Like, it's not just flowers. Like, it's a movie about flowers, but it's not about flowers, and it really has very little to do with flowers. Flowers are just kind of window dressing. Uh Uh, So people are really obsessed with this ghost orchid. So Orlean wants to see it so that she can understand. Right, right. Passion. And this is when we get to LaRoche's collector playlist. Like, he collected turtles, then 
ice age fossils then 19th century dutch mirrors then tropical fish <laughs> yep and then he and he always just says like oh, i was just done with them yep, done with fish and he with like fish. With, with fish he won't even visit the ocean anymore he lives in florida <laughs> yeah. yep that's crazy uh, yeah, and she that's... thinks it's crazy too. Yeah, but no, he's just done. He's done with fish. That's just yeah, and I like I'm with her. I'm mystified by that. That's so strange to me. So much to me. I I could just be I can do that. I, I've had things in the past that I've been like, oh my god, this is what my whole life's purpose is, and then one day I wake up, I'm like, hmm, I'm actually done with that. I mean, maybe as a teenager, but like, I, I just can't envision that doing that as an adult being like completely enveloped in something and then totally done with it. Unless it's well, like a video game, which has these, a beginning and end. Yeah, these days, I can't imagine myself being completely enveloped in something well, yeah. at all. So, I mean, I'm really into movies. <laughs> yeah, there is that. So the, this then Kaufman has this fantasy about taking the diner waitress to the orchid show. And then he's also masturbating about it after that. Yeah, but it's kind of like <laughs> shot, like maybe this, or I right, thought like, wait, first, did he actually take her there? Yeah, at first it seems like she's he's there at the orchid show with her. Uh, yeah. And then it's revealed to be a sexual fantasy that he's having. But he's interrupted by Donald, who, <laughs> yeah. who wants to do his pitch. And notably, this is where he's up right now and Charlie is horizontal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the pitch. <laughs> oh, my God. So there, there's a lot that goes into explaining it, but ultimately what it is, is a killer has kidnapped a woman and a detective has to find the woman and the killer. But they're all the same person with split three split personalities. It's the ward. <laughs> but so, so Kaufman, Charlie asks the uh, very logical question or starts to ask like, okay, so how, how do you make is, this? <laughs> how, how is he holding her? How is this? Uh, so they're, so, so he's holding her in the basement, but they're all the same person. Yeah, that's right. And he's like, you can't make this. How do you make this? This doesn't make any sense. And he's like, mom called it psychologically taught. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Charlie's about to go off and he just <laughs> he's about to and then he just gives up and he's like it's psychologically taught <laughs> I, I love that line so much that's that's genius and then unfortunately Kaufman next day goes to try to impress the waitress with his knowledge of orchids and he does invite her to the show and it goes really badly yeah um, guys, don't hit on people in don't the service do this. industry they, when you are their customer. Don't people have do to this. Be. Yeah, we've talked about this before. Don't do this. Well, it's worth bringing up. Don't do this. Yes. Uh, so then we have Orlean describing orchid varietals uh, and paralleled with Kaufman describing varieties of women. Oh, yeah. He's like, he's at the orchid show, but he's just... He's just paying attention to all the women there and describing them. It's like, um, I can't remember any of the words he uses, but. No, but the last one is about Orlean herself. And he describes her as one that has eyes that contain the sadness of the world. 
because he's really into her. He and and that's sort of his in to this whole adaptation. It, it takes yeah. him a while to realize that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he uh, has he, he has the hots for her, despite having never spoken to her before. Well, I think it's more that he sees a lot of himself in her, and he sees a similar sort of longing and sadness, uh, a similar uh, willingness to break the rules, but like, and, and wanting to just, like, the, the structure of her book is like the structure of this movie and the structure of the way he does movies. It does break the rules. It's not interested in following a thing. It's just kind of interested in being her perspective entirely. So it kind of does need to be a movie about her if it's an adaptation of the book. Right. Even if the book is about LaRoche. Yeah, but and even if the ad- adaptation is about Charlie. Yeah. It's so weird. I love this movie. So here we have LaRoche describing opening his initial nursery. Uh, and then he kind of gets mean and he's like, I think some people were spending time with me just because they were lonely, very pointedly. And Orlean yeah. kind of self-recognizes like that, you know, she's just kind of spending time with him because she's lonely and she becomes really awkward about it. Uh, I know, Plum, she's lonely and it's sad. <laughs> uh, and this is an important point because she talks about the adaptability of plants versus people. And that for people, adapting is seen as running away. And of course, adaptation being the title of this movie and it being a book about adapting a novel into a screenplay into a movie. I mean, it's also about the adaptability of people and growing (laughs) as people and learning to adapt and accept, you know, different opinions and stuff. This movie's about everything. It is very much about just all the things <laughs> it's extremely complicated but oddly not complicated like it, it's sort of just and and anything goes it's very stream of consciousness mm-hmm. that's that's the best way to describe it it's a stream of consciousness this movie which is tough to make kind, that's only kind of concerned with telling a coherent story yeah i mean you kind of have one in there but you sort of just have to ride with it from place to place yeah yeah exactly so we yeah so then we have kaufman on set of being john malkovich again where donald actually shows up so that that shows that while this is happening uh malkovich is just being finished i guess i, I guess because um, he's asking about cool ways to kill people for his script right and it's the first this is the first time that we've seen both of them upright in a scene oh yeah it is i guess it would be too (laughs) kind of amazing yeah um yeah yeah like i i noticed but i never noticed that yes one of them's always lying down yeah so uh Charlie has his suggestion of a lit prof who cuts people's bodies up until they die. He's the deconstructionist. Uh, And Uh, Charlie doesn't get it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But he does get a date with the makeup girl, Caroline, who likes his script. Mm -hmm. And Charlie's just like, don't hit on the makeup girl. Yep. It's it's always don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Donald always does them. And uh, it, it always goes well for him. Yep. Yep. Uh, so 
then they're at a party and they run into Amelia, who is now dating this new guy, David. And Charlie does not handle it well. (laughs) And he has to leave. (laughs) Like, he's not made to leave, but he has to leave. Uh Uh, And and he goes to read some Darwin. And this is sort of where the script begins. And the actual start of the movie that we saw is we, we see the moment of inspiration. He's like, that's what I need to do. Tie all history together. And he starts up the tape recorder. Start right before life begins on the planet. It's before I sex. Love this. It's before sex because everything is like asexual. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just going on and on. Then, and as the uh, the voiceover just carries on unbroken, we smash cut to him listening to the tape recorder, crying. Just in exasperation. Like, just it's going past it's... the stuff we saw. It's like, oh, no. <laughs> and he's just, like, <laughs> just defeated. Like, <laughs> It's so amazing. Just, like, him describing everything that we saw uh, from that sequence. Like, all of it with the birth and everything. And then the the description of the thing and then just it continuing on and on and on and him listening to the tape recorder like way past what we saw he's like oh no yeah but it's not just oh no he's yeah, got like weeping. the 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 nick cage like despair my life is over look yeah it's and so then good. donald comes back from his mckee seminar and he's really enthused about genre my genre is thriller. What's yours? It's like we share the same DNA. <laughs> <laughs> this is a movie without a genre. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it just turns into like a completely different movie altogether in the last twenty minutes or so. But it turns into a thriller. Even. Yeah. Yes, it does. Yes, it, it becomes does. Donald's movie. Uh, so we have Susan phoning LaRoche to ask about what happened with the nursery. This is where we get his history and the flashback to the car crash. Yeah. Um, so there's not really a lot to this uh, backstory, but it doesn't need a lot. He's driving his parents or His somewhere. mom and his uncle. Yeah. Um, driving them somewhere it doesn't matter I where think they're going to the nursery because they all have plants oh okay yeah yeah no you're right that's what it was yes it was the nursery yeah and as they're driving you just you see just inside the car you just get smoked well he he's backing out he he blind backs out of the driveway and they get hit by someone coming along the street uh, and so both the mom and uncle are killed. And this is how he lost his teeth as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And his wife, his wife goes into a coma from it. And when she wakes up, she divorces him. Yeah. And Susan gets it like the wife. She gets the wife divorcing him. She says, yeah. it. she's like, yeah, I mean, it's like a free pass. If you almost died, I, I would do that, too. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was interesting. Which, yeah. Well, uh, she in this anyway is in a really boring loveless marriage well it seems like it or she just seems bored she just seems bored altogether maybe well no not maybe yeah that's i think that's what it is yeah because the guy doesn't her husband doesn't seem to be anything wrong with him well we don't really get much of him no i don't think i i don't think we even get his name yeah i mean i i feel like he's just not significant to the book either very likely 
Uh, and also, so for continuing uh, LaRoche's story, Hurricane Andrew destroyed the nursery as well <laughs> just after that. So then yeah. that's when he decided the, the Seminoles were looking for someone to uh, be sort of their guide for this because they wanted to start a nursery and knew that they had this sort of loophole that they could work with. Now, as long as I don't touch the plant myself. Mm-hmm. And so around this time in that timeline the first new yorker article is finally published and this is where we have that meeting between susan orlean and valerie tilda swinton's character yeah and she's basically like you want to make a movie of this she is laughing her head off she thinks it's absolutely hysterical and and valerie's like don't worry we have screenwriters And th- then we have like a smash cut to Coffin, just surrounded by books. There, Valerie's hounding him via answering machine for a draft. It's been 13 weeks already. <laughs> yeah, and he's got nothing he's right got now. Nothing. Yeah, and, and like the the agent is like, hey, make sure you get something on the desk by Monday. Yeah, and he's he's he has a sex fantasy about Valerie, where she's just constantly calling him a genius. Which I think she called him a genius in that talk at the start. So it's just him replaying that moment in his mind. Again, just doubly masturbatory. Yeah, because quite literally. Yeah. And then we get him actually go to see his agent. Uh, Who's this guy? He's in a lot of stuff. Is it Gary Cole? I don't know, but I've seen him before. I think it's Peter Berg. Uh, And... He reads from a review of The Orchid Thief about how weirdly written it is. He's like, I can't structure this. It's that sprawling New Yorker shit. <laughs> and it is. And that's what yeah. this movie is. This movie <laughs> kind of creates that somehow in a film format, which is fascinating. I can't believe this movie works. It's so I can't good. believe this movie got made. That's kind yeah, of the well, main that's, thing. That's the thing. Like, how do you submit this screenplay of this book and then get a green light after that. I mean, I figure you can only do it if you have the kind of heat that Charlie Kaufman already had. And he like, he's making it with the same director he made being John Malkovich with. So that, that kind of helps as well. Well, yeah. Okay. Uh, and yeah, I guess, I guess I, I just have to know how big Malkovich was at the time. Yeah, I mean, I definitely saw that in theater and I picked it up on DVD at the time. Like, that's one I watched a lot. So, yeah, I don't know. He's also talking about how because it's somebody else's material, he's a lot more precious about inventing stuff and like adding things that don't exist. (laughs) At this point. (laughs) At this point. (laughs) And he's like, I wanted to show people how show people how amazing flowers are. Like, are they? Like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> and his agents, t- like, he wants to quit, but his agents, like, quitting now would be a terrible career move. Like, you would be over in Hollywood because it's oh, been yeah. 13 weeks. It's due. Yeah. Yeah. Well, by by the time that that deadline just flies past, it's by the time the movie's over, the deadline's long gone. I think so, but he does get it done. Well, obviously. Because... And it's it seems to be pretty quick after this because there's a couple things, but it, it seems like a lot, and it's a lot of movie time, but movie time doesn't matter in this. Movie no, time is doesn't. complicated. Yeah. And so meanwhile, Donald's script, of course, is going great, 
and he's chosen an image motif of broken mirrors to show the protagonist's <laughs> f- fragmented self. <laughs> and he's he keeps saying Bob says this and Bob says that, and Charlie's like, "You sound like you're in a cult." <laughs> yeah. He's like, "No, just good writing technique." And by the way, I've posted McKee's Ten Commandments over both our workstations. <laughs> So, so Charlie crumples up his, and Donald's like, "You shouldn't have done that." It's, it's like a, a fake out. Like he yeah. he seems really scary. Like he sort of appears in the door and's like, "You shouldn't have done that." <laughs> and because like a pause. Because it's extremely helpful. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> he like brightens ex- up. He's grinning because it's extremely helpful. <laughs> <laughs> so cute. Yeah. And this is also where he's like, I've decided to add a, add a song to my script. <laughs> he's going <laughs> to add Happy Together by the Turtles. <laughs> oh, yeah. Turtles. Oh, my God. Right? God damn this movie. <laughs> <laughs> they never mentioned that it's by the Turtles in the movie. But, yeah, it's a Turtles song. Uh, we also find that LaRoche has since become an Internet porn pioneer. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this is when Orlean is wanting to take him or wanting him to take her to go see the ghost orchid. Yeah. And she's like, the reason it matters to care about something passionately is it whittles the world down to a small manageable size. So again, this is the core of adaptation. You got to whittle the text down to something small and manageable. But how do you do that? When the book is the text, like the the book is the the super text, you know, it's it's not about the story; it's about the way it's told. Uh, like that's, like this, I guess. Exactly. I mean that that's the point. Uh, and then this also is where we have Charlie fantasizing about sex with Orlean this time. He's, yeah, he's looking at her picture on the book jacket. Yeah. And saying, he, "Oh, what does he say? Something like, I really like looking at you.'" Yeah, something like that. And then, of course, Donald comes in again. He's now adding a motorcycle versus horse chase sequence. (laughs) The ultimate battle of technology versus horse. Horse. (laughs) (laughs) And Charlie's just like, "Uh, but it's still the three and they're all one person. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 How are you going to do this with camera tricks? we see him picking up a takeout order where he runs into Valerie and she's there with Susan. <laughs> she's yep. dying to meet you. <laughs> yeah. And Charlie's like, Oh, I, I can't, I have to, um, uh, what? I can't remember. Does he even give an excuse or does he just leave? He basically just leaves. He, he sort of gives a non excuse and ultimately he, like, it's something about how he doesn't want to because of a thing, but like, he does need to meet her. He's been thinking he needs to meet her to figure yeah, this out. But, but he, he, he can't. He can't. It's the same. Just, well, yeah. Well, it's, it's the same as the thing with Amelia, how he can't make the pass. He yeah. just can't do it. He, he can't bring himself to make that connection. And then we have him have his big freak out. He leaves the takeout. Oh, yeah, he just leaves. He just yeah. he just takes off. And yeah. and he goes home and he's like, I have no understanding of anything outside of my own panic and self-loathing. And this is where he writes the very beginning of the script. He's like, we open on Charlie Kaufman, fat, 
old, bald, <laughs> repulsive, sweating profusely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it's so weird to see scenes that have happened get um, written later written later and yeah. then, like have him come up with it later well like <laughs> it's i i literally wrote into my notes he gets into the robberus of it all well, <laughs> at they, this yeah. point this is I where don't know i wrote what that, that word means <laughs> it's like the next scene they mention a robberus it's like god damn yeah. it <laughs> you sons well, of bitches see, <laughs> i kind of thought this up as like a reverse of robberus like the snake is barfing up his own tail <laughs> kind of as he's trying to like get the adaptation out except but it's just is, his own tail this is like a, the complete ouroboros moment because we see the entire script developed up to this point he's shouting it into the tape recorder and he gets to the exact moment we're watching <laughs> yeah and then Donald shows up with his completed screenplay for the three with a logo. <laughs> it's got a logo and he's, he's taken Charlie's idea. It's except he's adapted a bit to make it more mainstream. So the killer just cuts off pieces and eats them. <laughs> and it was inspired by Caroline's tattoo of this snake swallowing its own tail. He's like, I'm insane. I'm a robberess. I've written myself into my own screenplay. <laughs> and he's like, and, and Don, every time he says robberess, Donald's just like, I don't know what that word means. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you know, the snake that eats his tail, a robberess. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. So great. And then he finally decides, like, okay, I'm going to go to New York to meet Susan Orlean. And we parallel this trip with Susan going with LaRoche to the swamp. Where they get lost. Yeah. And before we get to him getting to New York, we kind of see the swamp trip play out and sort of doesn't work out. Um, Kind of doesn't. Yeah. They get lost. And he uh, starts talking about computers and that the thing he likes about computers is I'm immersed in them, but it isn't like a thing that can leave or die. And then he kind of talks himself into being upset with her. Yeah, yeah, going back to the whole, like, she's just leeching off of him because she's so lonely and he's interesting thing. Yeah, and he, like, walks off in the, in the swamp and he's like, get your own life, your own fucking interests. And then we get sort of the parallel scene with Kaufman visiting the New Yorker offices and Orlean gets right onto the elevator with him and he still can't talk to her. Yeah, yeah. Like, first he can't get off the elevator and then she just comes right onto the elevator and rides it down with him yep. he just doesn't say a damn thing nope. <laughs> just standing there awkwardly in the corner and he blows it bald miserable <laughs> sweating profusely sweating profusely yeah uh and then he talks to his agent again who loves the three he, of course uh, he does <laughs> maybe everyone you could loves bring the your, three yeah he's like maybe you could bring your brother on to help you with this orchid thing <laughs> <laughs> And because he's in New York, Kaufman can attend McKee's New York seminar. And Robert McKee is played by the great Brian Cox. Oh, okay. Uh, you've seen Brian Cox and stuff. Uh, I'm sure I have. He's the chief in Super Troopers. Okay, yeah. Uh, and he's the original Hannibal Lecter in the Michael Mann version of Manhunter. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. 
so the he goes to the seminar <laughs> which, yeah ooh. and for like the the first whole bunch of it he's just totally in his head not taking in the seminar until specifically mckee talks about voiceover being really shitty and like the voiceover cuts off because he's like oh <laughs> he's like yep. shamed into not using voiceover anymore <laughs> yeah yeah and then uh then he asks if there's any questions well, first he says you cannot have a protagonist without desire. It doesn't make any fucking sense. And then later is when he's answering the questions in Kaufman specifically. It's like, what about writing stories without epiphanies or change? More like the real world. Oh, and then he just tears <laughs> into him. He's like, he goes off. He goes off. Like, you think nothing happens in the real world? Are you out of your fucking mind? <laughs> okay, so here's a couple things that he's... One thing he says that kind of stood out to me, having seen the movie a couple times. Every day, someone sacrifices his life for someone else. Uh, if you can't find that stuff in life, you, my oh, friend, God. don't know crap this. about life. <laughs> but yes, yeah, you know? <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> Uh, and I really like him, like he builds himself up into a whole frenzy and uh, like yells at Coffin, I don't have any bloody use for it. And Coffin, like it cuts to him in the eye and it's like, okay, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> he sits down. Yeah. And then after he goes to talk to McKee personally, because he's really shaken by it. Uh-huh. It's like, not just about my choices as a screenwriter, but my choices as a human being. <laughs> But, yeah. like, McKee is cool about it, and they go to drink and talk one-on-one about the problems of adaptation. Right. Um, so he goes over the whole script with him. <laughs> Which, <laughs> McKee's like, that's no movie. You gotta go back. Put in the drama. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, of course, that's impossible. Like, it's due. It's due now. <laughs> it is past due. And he's like, okay, okay, last act makes the film. Just wow them in the end, and you're fine. Just find an ending. Don't cheat. And then the rest of it doesn't matter. Don't use deus ex machina. He is a deus ex machina. (laughs) McKee is the deus ex machina. Come on. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I can't believe it. And they hug. They hug. They hug, of course. No, No hugging. Uh, they hug. McKee recommends working with Donald on the script, <laughs> who's also kind of a deus ex machina because he doesn't exist. Yeah. So yeah. he phones Donald. And interestingly, Catherine Keener is there reading the three and playing Boggle. He's like, you should really hang out with her, Charles. Catherine Keener was the the female lead in being John Malkovich. And of course, oh, okay. it's mentioned much earlier that Charlie couldn't even possibly approach her. <laughs> right. And he invites Donald to come to New York and read the script and work with him on it. And this yes. is where he's like, so like, what would you do? And he's like, the script kind of makes fun of me, huh? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. He's like, sorry, I was trying something. He's like, I don't mind. It's funny. Because he is <laughs> very chill about all of this stuff. And that, that's oh, yeah. something, this will be echoed later as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Donald had read The Orchid Thief on the plane. So he has some thoughts about this passage about little Japanese paper balls that expand in water into flowers. And he doesn't get the metaphor about it. And but neither of them do. And he's like, well, yeah, 
because you need to speak to her to get this. Speak to this woman. Yeah, so he he still doesn't end up doing it, but they, they go there to do it. Well, no, instead, he offers to go and pretend to be Charlie. Yeah, that's that's what happens, yes. And he's very sweet here, because, like, Charlie's saying all these things, like, don't do this, don't do this. And, like, I won't laugh. I'll get to people. And he's like, I- I'll get to have people think I'm you. It'll be an honor. I was like, aw. <laughs> he's, he's just so incredibly sweet about yeah. everything. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then he at first charms Orlean. But he's mm-hmm. kind of not able to get much out of her because he doesn't really know how to perform an interview. And she starts to think he's a little bit dumb <laughs> because, yeah. like, the the last question he asks is pretty high school. <laughs> yeah, what he, it's like, so... There's if you could this... hang out with any historical figure, who would it be, I think? And it was Einstein and who was the other one? I can't remember. But yeah, it's it's like a totally generic answer is yeah, sort of the but, point. And he's like, he, I think she's hiding something. Well, doesn't he also ask, like, uh, there seems to be a bit of a subtext of attraction to LaRoche in the novel. Do you Can you care to comment on that? And she, yeah, and she's like, no. No, no. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> whether or not... <laughs> well, this so, yeah. didn't happen because Char- D- Donald doesn't exist. Well, yes. <laughs> so we're, we're in the final act where probably none of this is real. I hope not. <laughs> I, I'm fairly certain that from the McKee point forward, nothing of this exists. Uh, it, yeah. Like, I don't oh, think yeah. he went to the McKee workshop. Like, I don't think any of that is real. It could be possible that he went to New York and was not able to make himself face Susan Orlean, so he left. That is totally possible. I could see that being real. I don't think anything after this is. <laughs> no. Well, I mean, for it to be real, Donald would have to be real. Otherwise, he would have to do... Well, this is the same problem with the three. It's the three! <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, we we have... He, he starts singing Happy Together to Charlie to get him into it. And then, like, they go spying. They yeah, go spy on and they're they they see that she has a ticket to miami the next morning and uh donald's like have you checked out laroche's porn site i'm gonna check it out research don't tell my old lady you mean mom <laughs> <laughs> no i don't mean mom and notably he finds nudes of susan orlean on the site so we're going to miami <laughs> yep And this is the point where we get the flashback of Orlean finally actually seeing the flower and being pretty underwhelmed. She's like, oh, yeah, I mean, it's just a flower. It's just a flower. Yeah, that's that's what she says. She's like, it's just a flower. And I'm with her. I get it. It's like, yeah, I mean, flowers are nice, but I don't have a passion for flowers. So I look at it like, yeah, it's just a flower. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's because you're chasing someone else's passion. I guess you're not going to care when you find their passion. Yeah, exactly. And this is when we have the scene where he's like, okay, so here's the other part of it. The, and they become poppies and heroin. basically. (laughs) There's a Roche flashback to him at the nursery and the Seminoles grinding them up and smoking them. And he says, it seems to help people be fascinated. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> which is the dumbest line in the entire script intentionally i am absolutely certain i hope so and she sniffs some ground up orchid and gets really stoned and she gets really into the sound of the dial tone <laughs> <laughs> and they have this, <laughs> they have this weird conversation this is like, a no, cosmically stoned it. phone call yeah yes it's like no no you gotta keep going you gotta go and ultimately they meet up they have sex again we're we're adding the sex in which Mm -hmm. did not exist we've got the drugs and we we cut to the present where uh the twins watch laroche pick up orlean at the airport and they follow him to his house Uh, and kaufman sneaks in to see laroche and susan orlean snorting orchids and making out (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah we're completely through the looking glass. They spot him and uh, completely oh. nude. Uh, LaRoche chases him down. Yeah. And Orlean uh, recognizes him, of course, because, you know, he he wasn't there, but he sent his twin. So that's the writer. And LaRoche is cool about it. He's like, oh, cool. You're right. You're making a movie about me. <laughs> Who's going to play me? Yeah. It's like, oh, well, I don't really uh, handle that part. Uh but Orlean just gets really paranoid about it. It's like, are you going to write about this in your screenplay? And we have we to kill this, it. <laughs> but it's it's not that quick. She it's like this long shot on her face as she, right. She's processing all this stuff, and I can just imagine she, her having like a inner narrative going, like Charlie yes. has been. But she's um, not but the we, narrator of this book, right? So we don't we screenplay. just see her face. Yeah, and as she just comes to the realization, I guess that. Uh, we have to kill him. Yeah, she's she's off in the land of chocolate for a bit, but then yeah. she's back, and uh, we ha- we have to kill him. Uh, she can't have people knowing. And Laroche is kind of like, is she? Are you ashamed of me? Is that what it is? But it's like, no, it's the drugs. It's the drugs. And so they go. They they take. She rides with Charlie in his car because Donald has left the car to investigate and he's hiding somewhere. Uh-huh. Uh, and they go to Fakahatchee, of course. Of course. This is where I checked to make sure that it was a real place and that it wasn't actually Fakahatchee. But it is so real. It, it is real. It is okay. real. I, I could, I, like, the name was so perfect that I, I had to check. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, But so, like, she gets out, she has him at gunpoint, but Donald is hiding under some clothes in the back seat, and he surprises her and knocks her out of the way with the car door. And they just hide out in the swamp behind a really big log, and they kind of come to like each other, uh, learn learn a bit and grow. (laughs) Have have their epiphanies. Yep. And uh, so Kaufman tells Donald about how he admires his obliviousness. And he tells this story about a high school anecdote where he thought Donald was oblivious to these girls making fun of him, but Donald knew. And I really love this because this is sort of my own philosophy. He's like, no, I I loved Sarah. It was mine, that love. I owned it. Even Sarah didn't have the right to take that away. I can love whoever I want. And it's like, she thought you were pathetic. And it's like, that's her problem, not mine. You yeah. are what you love, not what loves you. Mm. I think that's really great. Uh-huh. 
I, I did, yeah, I did like that. I was like, that, that, that kind of hit me. That kind of hit me. Yeah, it's a really, really nice philosophy. I, I like yeah. that a lot. Uh, I and, need to think on that one a bit more. Yeah. Uh, like, that. that's one that, like, I is very close to sort of my own perception of of uh the way to, way to live life i guess and so the next morning they they're kind of they've grown together they they've they've made up and they sneak back to the car but they're laroche is still there he's just like asleep with the gun yeah. uh, but he wakes up immediately and he shoots so donald gets winged and they speed yeah. away <laughs> I uh, Donald's like I can't believe I got shot. Isn't that fucked up? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then, uh, the, then uh, he gets uh, what hits the car? They have a head-on collision with the Ranger truck. That's um, what it was. Yeah. Donald is thrown through the windshield because he was not in a seatbelt. Because they were, you know, he got shot and they were driving away really fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Kaufman sings "Happy Together" to him while he dies. It's very uh, sweet. Very, yeah. Very, yeah, it's it's weird because like, it's a it's it's a fictional character in a true story, so it's really weird. <laughs> yes. Uh, but you know, this is how you feel for a, a a lovable invented character, and it's a character that we've that has been created to be especially lovable. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then Susan shows up. So the the danger is still there, and Charlie has to run into the swamp. And he's hilariously cornered by Susan, LaRoche, and an alligator. (laughs) And an alligator, yeah. (laughs) On all sides. Uh, But but the alligator bites LaRoche. Yeah, like LaRoche is approaching with the gun, and he's apologizing and crying that he has to kill him. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, But the alligator gets him. (laughs) (laughs) And as he's dying, uh, Susan's like, she screams, oh, you fat piece of shit. <laughs> and, and he's just like, shut up. And she's like, just oh, shut wanna... up. She she gets really teary. It's like, I want to be a baby again. I want to be new. I want to be new. <laughs> and things are sort of resolved there. Charlie phones his mom to tell her about Donald. And he finally talks to Amelia. And he finally yeah. kisses her, but it's a little awkward because she's now with someone. Yeah, but she loves him anyway. Yeah, she he says he loves her, finally, and uh-huh. she says, I love you too, you know, while she's walking away. Yeah. And then we have, I know how to finish the script now. It ends with Kaufman driving home, knowing how to fix the script. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, that's voiceover. McKee would not approve. <laughs> <laughs> and then... Yeah. He drives away for the first time filled with hope. This is good. I like this. That's that's it. Happy that's Together it. plays. Uh, the entirety of Happy Together plays over a time lapse of flowers and L.A. traffic. And that then we get the end. Yeah. Rules. It's it's so great. So uh, it's good. dedicated in, at the end of the credits. So we got two things. It's in loving memory of Donald Kaufman. Mm-hmm. At the end, <laughs> and then we, we get a, a full full screen at the very end uh, quote from Cassie from the three, uh, and this quote is so good. <laughs> We're all one thing, Lieutenant. That's what I've come to realize. Like cells in a body, except we can't see the body the way fish can't see the ocean. 
And so we envy each other, hurt each other, hate each other. How silly is that? A heart cell hating a lung cell. (laughs) 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 Okay, so this movie is hilarious. (laughs) It's brilliantly funny for something that's so complicated and so artsy in sort of like a cutesy kind of way. Yeah, yeah. Like, th- this one is weird because, we, like, Nick Cage just disappears into both of these roles, and I found myself forgetting that that's who I was watching after Absolutely. While, Absolutely. Which doesn't happen with him. No, because, I mean, usually there's so much Nick Cage energy to a role, and, like, he is great in this. He's just so great in both of these roles that they both really do feel like two different people. Mm-hmm. They like really genuinely do. it's very impressive uh and it's just so goddamn funny uh i really like charlie kaufman i vibe with his approach to writing like th- this is sort of how i like i like the messiness of it i like how self-aware it is without being like self-aware in an annoying sort of way i mean yeah. it, it depends because like i find the post scream uh self-awareness in horror movies to be really fucking obnoxious most of the time Mm. and this is a this is a sort of this this works for me because it's got a concept like it's it's using different layers it's doing this adaptation because it's an adaptation of something that already is like this yeah like more layers of like this (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i i also love how he ends it with like wonder who's gonna play me yeah ah genius i i absolutely love it it's it's one that kind of grew in my estimation on this rewatch i hadn't seen it in a long time and i couldn't remember if it totally worked but it does it worked better than i remembered i love it um i mean i don't know i don't know if i'm just thinking that now because i just saw it but right now it might be my favorite cage performances yeah, it could be. Like, I'd put it up there. There's a few that I really love. Like, Bringing Out the Dead is one of the underrated ones that I'm a really That's huge a fan good of. One. That's a good one. Uh, it would be hard to do a ranking of Cage, because he's so prolific, for yeah. one. Yeah, like, well, <laughs> well, like Homestuck, oh, going back into Homestuck. Oh, yeah, and Con Air. Uh, yeah, like, they, they did uh, a whole bunch of Nick Cage stuff and memes and stuff in 1999 but the the show the series ended in like 2016 and there had been so many cage nick cage stuff so much then that happened that they couldn't even reference well yeah like a huge amount of just his weird direct-to-video period because he just kept buying castles and swords and dinosaur bones he's like i'll just take any work you know whatever yeah or or like the, He's such uh, a fascinating dude. He's so cool. <laughs> yeah. Or or the old uh, uh, YouTube Nick Cage freakout compilation that was about nine minutes long back in 2010. If they had updated that now. <laughs> oh, it'd be crazy. Because that one usually ends with not like usually <clears throat> from around that time. Not the bees was considered the right. most. The Wicker most Man Nick Cage. Is I think 04. That one's bad. That, that is one that I would say is an outright bad movie, but it is watchable purely because of Cage. 
Yeah, yeah. This Purely. is an example of him taking an unbearable movie and making it bearable. Yes. While and he's in a bear, bear suit. suit punching <laughs> out an old woman. Bearable. <laughs> Not the bees. Ah. Yeah, adaptation. Just I, I love it. It's such a strange thing. Uh, and I really vibe with just a lot of the concepts in it, a lot of the philosophies in it. Just uh, really they, they appeal like, to me. I really like breaking the structure of narratives and doing it well. I just love when yeah. something can do that. And yeah. this one and, does. And I like that he also kind of does k- kind of pay a bit of respect to McKee and does like ultimately pull a little bit from McKee to create a little bit of structure into a movie that's maybe not going to work for an audience otherwise. I don't think this movie would really work without that completely bizarre third act. Oh, not at all. Like I was struggling to remember anything specific that happened, just like general feelings until that third act came along. And I'm like, okay, well now here we have a beginning, a middle and end here is things happening. I get this now. That's, yeah. that's just, well, I mean, I, I don't want to say that's just stuff because all that stuff before was the point, but that's the yeah. real stuff. Yeah. It's the journey. It's the journey. This is just completely bonkers and blurs fiction and reality in such a way that kind of ultimately inextricable. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, like I watched how much of what we see in the film here of Susan's story is Susan's story. Any of it? I don't know. Probably. I, I would say most of the stuff up to, the point where he misses her in the elevator. I'd say all most of that is authentic. Because, like, they, I, I read an interview about how she had to sign off on this. Like, yeah. like they, they came to her and was like, okay, so this is a really wild idea, but we want to do this. And at first she's like, I don't know if I feel comfortable with this. But she kind of thought, and was like, eh. All right, we'll we'll give it a shot, because she read it and she's like, I, I kind of see what you're doing, and it's it's fun, and I think it worked out. But yeah, that would be weird if you were a real person. It's like we're gonna do some very strange things with this script that's an adaptation of your work. It says it's well, it says here I die. I don't yeah. think I'm dead. I don't know if John LaRoche is still around. Like, I really wonder what's going on with him. I'm going to take a quick look here. Uh, he do we want to do we want to talk a little bit about like some of the other performances? Meryl Streep, of course, is Streep is so good. She's really good. Um, uh, LaRoche and, is still around. Yeah. Yeah. OK. <laughs> there, there's not a lot of information about him recently, but uh oh it looks like Susan Arlene did a recent revisit of him. I'll have to check that out later. Oh interesting. Wonder but, if uh they got the drug thing happening again. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. It's, it's gotta yeah, you gotta do something in this lockdown, right? Uh <laughs> but yeah, Streep is amazing in this and Cooper is just like really fascinating. Like it's it's a very nervy performance. This was sort of a period of Cooper doing a lot of performances like this. I feel like I saw a lot of really intense Chris Cooper performances around this time. Like, I think this is 
two years after uh, American Beauty, where he kills Kevin Spacey. Oh, I I've seen American Beauty, but don't remember yeah, that. Yeah, he's the neo-Nazi next door neighbor. Oh, that. wow. As I recall, oh, again, yeah. it's been probably 20 years since I've seen that one, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's, I mean, it's like, been a while. That that was sort of an interesting era for Cooper, uh, even though, like, you know, he's he's been around for quite a while. Uh, and of course, Cage. Amazing. I, I like all of the roles in this. There's there's not a lot of characters. It's mostly in Charlie's head. Mostly. Yeah. Well, yeah. Cage pretty much has to carry the whole movie, but he's he's the guy to do it. He is the guy to do it, especially to do it twice. <laughs> <laughs> Starring Nick Cage and Nick Cage. I mean, I'm already sold. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah that's all that's, it takes. That's all you need. I mean, all that other stuff. That's just that's just icing. You just give me two Nick Cage roles and I'm in. Yeah, and uh, th- this is the the best possible version of it. Yeah, this is really good icing. Yeah. You just want to kind of take the uh, just kind of want to take the can of icing and just eat that. It's pure frosting. <laughs> <laughs> So any final thoughts? Uh, I, I should say the next movie uh, in in the stack, uh, this is replaced with The Conformist or Il Conformista. It's oh. a, a classic Bernardo Bertolucci film about uh, the, the latter days of fascism in Italy. It's about Ooh. this guy who's just really weak-willed, not very capable, and he just kind of gets bullied into becoming a fascist assassin. And he's sent, I think, to France to assassinate his former teacher and he's just really repressed like he's he's gay but he like has it completely repressed uh-huh. and it's this whole thing uh sort of about fascism and being a conformist and and all of that uh i have seen it before but not in a few years it's great okay cool kind cool. of a, a classic so yeah uh, any final thoughts before we head to part two uh I'm, well, as always, I'll come up with plenty as soon as we stop recording. <laughs> Most certainly. All <laughs> right. On to part two. And we are back for our second part. I just want to mention that I did look up the article about Susan Orlean revisits Orchid Thief 20 years later from like, uh, I don't know, a year or so ago. Uh, it was actually a fake out. There's nothing new about John LaRoche. I couldn't find anything. It was just... Them talking to her, talking to her that, you know, people are reading the book during the pandemic. I'm like, hey, you wrote this what? book? There's nothing. It's not very interesting. Okay. Well, I don't know. Book to read during the pandemic. Maybe, maybe it's good. I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I have not read it. Uh, but our second film, kind of uh, thematically resonant, we're uh, talking about The Masturbating Gunman, 1997 Australian film by mark savage our, our first australian film oh really pod. yeah oh i thought it was english i didn't know uh but yeah okay. mark mark savage an australian picture uh very strange film <laughs> really really strange film um has more parallels to adaptation than one would expect yeah i mean the masturbation thing is an obvious theme but it's but it's a it's a film that's sort of it, it's very self-conscious about itself in, in, in some really weird ways. Yeah. Yeah. Um, before we get into it, I, I want to mention I'm holding 
your uh, disc, the the kept the case in my hand, and there is a signature on there. I have an autographed copy, correct? Yes. Now, I can't read signatures or cursive in the best of times. Who who do we have on here? Do you recall? I believe it's. It from here. I believe it was the director. I think it is oh, Mark cool. Savage. I cannot completely recall, but yeah, it could uh, be. It was an exclusive from Severin uh, ooh, last year, year before, maybe like the halfway to Black Friday sale last year. Not the Black Friday sale, because I'm still waiting on some of that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, it's it's a it's a shot on video effort. So it's from their sub label Intervision, uh, which I'm a big fan of. Intervision do a lot of cool work. They uh they're they're sort of the SOV stuff for Severin, so that they they cover a lot of just really weird video projects. Okay, like Phobe, Phobe was oh. also an Intervision one. So we we've discussed an Intervision title before. So um, we open with it saying that, like adaptation, it's based on a true story. Um, I'll believe uh, I'll believe that when I see it. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think this is based on a true story. <laughs> I don't think it is. Uh, <laughs> no, no further information is given, but it's uh, and then we open with a quote and I didn't write down who said it, but it just says, if you don't stop it, you'll go blind. Yeah. And uh, and we cut to a large man with coveralls and a ski mask walking on a road towards the camera. He's kind of Michael Myersy. Kind of. He's got um, that same coverall suit and like a creepy mask, except he's got like a, a leather mask. It, like, it's or, uh, it's uh, it's not actually a ski right. mask. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's not it's like a, a latex mask either. It's basically a gimp mask though. It's yeah. gimp masky. It's like gimp mask material, but as a balaclava. Because we all of the bad guys are wearing balaclavas. It's required in their contract. Yeah, yeah, except and he's for the like, poor but... Right, the one guy, because he's beautiful. Uh, yeah. But only... He he can only be distinguished from the bad guys because he's got the, like, snazzy uh, vinyl or leather or whatever uh, mask yeah. instead of the balaclava. Uh, I, and the fact that they both, both him and the bad guys dress exactly the same, the movie doesn't use that at all. There's nope. no does not use that for anything, does not draw any attention to it. Um, it's not even acknowledged. It's like they didn't even notice. But like, uh, yeah. they can always distinguish it's him. Like they know yeah. it's him because of the mask and because uh, he's always masturbating. Well, he yeah, can't so help this, himself. So this is our this uh, scary virus killer looking guy is our hero. He has a real name, but I didn't catch it. He is the masturbating gunman. Uh, guess what he does? He's like an important figure, though. Like he's he's well respected. He's well known. He's like this is the guy you go to if someone is kidnapped. He's he's oh, your yeah. guy because he has a special ability. He can tell where anyone is by sniffing their panties. So you just well, he can tell uh, everything about them. Yeah, everything about them and about the people around them. Yeah, and like he can trace them like a bloodhound. 
And it's it, like it takes him a while sometimes. Yes, but yes. It, it, it takes some doing. He has to sniff them a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it, yeah, but if, if you bring him a girl's panties, he can he can eventually track them down. And so, but like his history, his origin story is the Iron well, Fist. <laughs> he has the yeah, same basically. origin story as the Iron Fist. Yeah. But, but like, speaking funny. of masturbatory, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was like raised by this this monk, uh, who basically like forbid him from any kind of sex or anything for the whole or time. Thinking about women or just like any sort of vestige of sexuality. Yeah, and also tortured him. Um, right. I I wrote it down, but it's later. Uh, yeah. Some of this we find out some of the stuff he did. Uh, right. It almost like a throwaway gag, actually. Yeah. One thing about this movie is that it uses a lot of it has a lot of it's a quiet movie. There's not a lot of dialogue. True. Only really one character does a lot of talking and everyone the else. Bad just kinda, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is holy shit. This guy. We'll Weird bad him. guy. Fascinating. Weird bad guy. villain. Everything about this movie is so weird. Like it feels like it should be like a sexploitation thing, but it's got this arty synth soundtrack. And it's sort of a criticism, like politically critical, because the the main villain is sort of this ultra conservative. And we we I kind of talked about this when we were discussing doing this movie when we were talking about it last week and how it's sort of a weirdly progressive movie for being a movie called the masturbating gunman and whatever it's crazy long original title is masked Avenger versus the ultra villain in the lair of the bikini, I believe something I mean, like I that. I guess that is also what the movie's about. Well, cause like he's, he's also very progressive and they talk about how their sexual exploitation business. Cause like they're human <laughs> yeah, traffickers. What ended up happening to society while the while the villain was in jail yeah like sex became too permissive and now like they can't really exploit it that easily because you know people can get porn on the internet and it's you know sexuality isn't that repressed anymore well they teach you (laughs) tabletop dancing in school now yeah it's it's a little exaggerated yes oh yes but uh but yeah yeah um and it's about how basically that's just how life is like there's also a scene where he, the the villain needs a virgin and they can't find one. <laughs> I mean, it took them too long to get the idea to look for a nun. Well, it really took them too long. Well, these minions are. And then they chose the stupidest pick. Like they they really didn't choose their nun well. But yes, they are dumb henchmen. These like are, the dumbest. They, these are like your stereotypical uh, dumbass henchmen for hire. These are these are the monarch's henchmen. They're like the 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 one that comes to mind most for me is the henchman who's also the brother in Velocipaster. Oh yeah. The one who doesn't know how to laugh. <laughs> right. <laughs> because the family never included him and they're laughing. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That yeah, guy could actually... have fit right into this movie. Oh yeah, he he's totally one of these guys. Yeah. Like like the, the villain literally got them from a hiring agency. 
Yeah, and like they all have very specific contracts, and they're all really sick of not getting paid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, this might also be a movie about the exploitation of the working class. Yeah, a little Maybe. bit. Just a bit. Yeah. Um, this movie is... Too, I don't want to say it takes itself too seriously for its subject matter, because that's not... That's, that's not kind of what makes it interesting. It. it makes it fun. But it's at its best when it's not trying to be funny. Yeah. Um, which is actually most of the movie. There's only a few real jokes in it. Right. Uh, and like they don't really land. Yeah, like the, the jokey dialogue is never super great, but it does well with some visual gags. And like sometimes it, it tends to overdo them. But like every time he was like in the panty room where he's got just <laughs> panties on lines and he'll, he'll just like grab one and sniff it. And every time he will ultimately become overcome and start masturbating. And just and every single out. time. Jesus, fuck. And fall over masturbating. Yeah. Every time. That was funny to me every single time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so, it, like escalatingly funny. Each time it was funnier. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Until the end when he finally overcomes it and the uh, right. how is uh He overcomes, overcomes it. it. Uh, oh. Uh, so uh our hero, yeah, he's basically like a detective agency slash superhero. Um he's he's well known in well in the crime circuits, in the public circuit. Like we don't see much of what the outside world is outside of this story. But they didn't have a lot of budget. <laughs> it seems to be very different from ours. Well, not very different, but like heightened. Yeah. Like it, um, it really felt to me like an 80s cartoon universe, like the sort of thing you'd see in Denver, the last dinosaur. Oh, that, that's sort of totally. the villains we're getting. Yeah. <laughs> these, these people should be fighting gem and the holograms. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So what do we. Got, oh yeah, so we start with our hero, who at this point I still have hadn't figured out as the hero, right? Uh, in a room, uh, being seduced by a woman. It turns out it's a sex worker who he's hired, mm -hmm. and she's doing her thing, and then he, you know, falls over and starts masturbating. It's kind <laughs> of his thing. It's his deal. It's it's his thing. Um, and and uh, then, we we get a, a lot of fluids. <laughs> a lot of fluids that. They are ridiculous. I, it's just milk. <laughs> just they're like someone from off screen is just like spraying him with shots of milk in the face and like yeah. all over his mask <laughs> over and over again in this movie. Like so much. Oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> then we cut to uh, this guy driving up this eraser head looking businessman. Mm -hmm. uh, walking to a appears to be a cathedral in the countryside, which it turns out is our hero's uh, private eye office. Yeah, he, he's got like this whole lair because he really yeah. does have a superhero kind of concept. Yeah, yeah, he does. And he has like he, he has this uh, sidekick. Who, I oh, never yeah. caught his name, but I, just, I only refer to him in my notes as the Smurf. Yeah, and, like, his sidekick who wants to, like, he, he's an aspiring panty-sniffing detective as well. Like, he's yeah, trying yeah. to learn the trade. <laughs> but he's 
supposedly no good at that. He, I mean, he sniffed a panty and couldn't even tell the difference between kleptomania and schizophrenia. Come on. I mean, on. it's a superpower. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this guy hires our hero to find his uh, wife or si- find somebody anyway. I think it's his daughter. His daughter? Could be yeah, his daughter. Yeah, I think this guy like is hiring him to look for his daughter who this, this villain has kidnapped. Okay, yeah, that's right. This, uh, oh no, it's not this villain. Isn't it? has oh, it isn't. It's a different it's a, villain. Oh no, it's it's the the cold open doesn't matter villain. Oh, okay, right. Yeah, who is uh, the the really racist ones? Oh yeah. Yeah. So, so this is where we find out about his power, and he doesn't really explain his power. He just sniffs the panties. And can tell it's like, oh, yeah, she's over here. Uh, this is what's happening. Well, it's it's similar to, like, a, a, a someone tasting wine. You know, he, he sniffs it and, like, he just knows all of these notes about the body and the flavor. Oh, yeah, okay. That <laughs> that makes, yeah. It's like, yeah, oh, yeah, it, it was like made that. in a cold year, you know. <laughs> it's, it's that kind of stuff, basically. Yeah. He's um, a sommelier of panties. Yeah, so so then we cut to uh, some ski mask guys picking up this weird. Um, I thought he was going to be a mafia crime boss, but he's a fucking lunatic uh, from prison. Oh yeah, he's like a cult leader. He's like he a super villain slash cult leader. Yeah, he reminds me. Yeah, I don't know. Um, his head is uh, in this silhouette is kind of shaped like a penis because of how his hair is. Yeah. And he is kind of a dick. Oh, yeah. His name is Helmut Gunther. And he's sort of a Nazi. He's like got kind of a Nazi vibe. Uh, Hugely um, super ultra conservative. Doesn't allow his employees to drink or smoke even. Any kind of horrible things. uh, Oh, God. Every time he talks, it's a huge speech, and the guy just, like, just eats scenery for breakfast. Oh, yeah. Chewing it. Yeah. Um, so he gives us – so uh, his henchman had been smoking in the car before picking him up, and he gives this whole speech about how how he needs all his people to be pure and not have any of the toxins of society or I don't know what words he uses. I go into their body and then just – stabs the guy 12 times and he's like 12 for my 12 now take me home john i have a son to make and then starts <laughs> making all this happy music the music is so the music weird. is weird music is very strange in this movie and like so his villainous plot is he needs a very pure wife and she needs uh-huh. to meet his very very specific uh specifications on purity uh, she has to be a virgin, among other things. And she just but, can't be polluted by all of these modern things that he doesn't like, including yeah. smoking and dancing and music. Yeah, yeah. And, and booze, of course, is a, is a of big course. no-no. Yeah. Uh, yep, yeah, and he is he wants to make a son who is somehow, in his mind, going to be the next Christ. Yeah. And it's sort of like he's going to be the next Christ, comma, Fuhrer sort of deal. Like he's going to be the one who leads us all. 
Yep. So it's very important. This very is very important. cult leadery. Mm-hmm. Uh, no explanation for how this plan is supposed to work beyond I have a kid now. Question, Never question, question, ahead. profit. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. Yeah, it's one of those. So now we cut to a shoreline uh, where these guys with binoculars are looking up for a ship. And uh, and uh, our guy shows up. <laughs> yep. Oh, yeah. This girl tied up. And they, uh, they've got two girls. They've got the one girl who's just who's not tied up, right? Yeah, she's just like chilling on a picnic blanket. She's uh, their secret weapon. She's a secret weapon. Yeah. Uh, the other one is. Uh, she's, she's the guy that he was hired to go after. Or the, the girl he was hired to rescue. Yeah, the missing person he was hired to rescue. She's yeah. being traded to. Um, well, they use a pretty derogatory term. I'm not yes. going to repeat here. Uh, they're they're uh, trading with uh, Arabs uh, to. Yeah. It's it's a, an Arab slave trade thing, uh, sex slavery. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it is. So this, so this one guy is like, "Hey, take take over for me. I got to take a piss." So he goes. <laughs> He, this guy this guy kind of looks like i don't know why he just reminds me of Wee herman he's got <laughs> this like weird ugly christmas sweater on whereas everyone else is like kind of dressed like thugs that is a funny name to pull in this episode yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i don't know why i thought of that but that that's what he, cause herman doesn't even wear a freaking christmas sweater he wears that gray suit why would his name come up? Hmm. I don't know, but anyway, the masturbating gunman snicks, snips off his dick with garden shears. <laughs> he just pops up with them and it's like, drunk. <laughs> uh, he uh, shoots, uh, shoots the minion, pulls out his entrails, and then uses the entrails like a lasso to whip the other minion's gun away from him. Totally rad. Yeah, so uh, then he goes to save the girl... But the other girl is in front of him doing a sexy dance, which is his one weakness. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, he falls over masturbating. Masturbating. <laughs> um, every single criminal in the world seems to know this the masturbating gunman's weakness. Like, he must be a really big deal. He must he's, be. He's like Superman. Well, but he's he the masturbating is. gunman. Just, well, yeah. Nobody talks about his other superpowers, which seems to be... Uh, invincibility and uh, like super strength. Like he just ripped his dude's entrails out. That's true. He just like dove in there and like, he can also get it off pretty fast if he needs to. It's like yeah. he masturbates so furiously that he's able to get off before the the guys come to get him. Yeah. So, so the thing is uh, he's, he's got a, he's dropped his gun and it's, now suddenly it's a frantic race to see if he can get to his gun before the like finish and get to his gun before the bad guy can get to it. And of course he finishes in time and then shoots the bad guy uh, with the gun. Yeah. <laughs> rescues the girl and leaves. And meanwhile, the other girl is just still standing like, there. The minion is just there. And the kidnapped girl is, I've written is understandably weirded out. Yeah. <laughs> It's a strange situation. And then we start in our main plot with him kind of in a trajectory toward the villain. Yeah, 
Yeah, so we've got uh, so here we have our villain, uh, in a huge helmet in like this huge speech, uh, talking about their mission to find a virgin, and he's going off about his whole plan, which is that his son is going to lead everything, and he's somehow. Like, Does any somehow? Yeah, it doesn't matter how it doesn't come up. <laughs> come up. <laughs> So he's like helmet. Any, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Any questions? So this one guy, this one minion raises his hand. He's like, "We haven't been paid in three months. <laughs> yeah. I, I sort have of a family." It, it kind of comes up every time he does one of his speeches. They're like, "So about being paid, though." <laughs> <laughs> and then he goes off on his whole thing. You should be grateful that you are working for me. You should be on your hands and knees thanking me that I am allowing you to enter the future. Everything before this is a past and it is nothing. This is now. This is the only thing that matters. Fuck your family. And he just goes off and off on these huge tangents that I can't possibly recreate because I have upstairs neighbors. Well, yeah, it just goes on and on. He's just ranting at them like a complete lunatic every time. And they're always like, could you maybe pay us, though? <laughs> like, yeah, basically. Uh. So now we uh, we cut to the gunman reuniting the girl with her person who hired him to catch her or to right. find her. Yeah. And he's like, wait a sec. What about my tip? Tip. I always get my tip. <laughs> and, and it turns out the tip, of course, is panties uh, for his collection. To the panty room, <laughs> which is. Oh, just, yeah, this is the first time we see it. Yeah, which is a completely dark room. We don't know how big it is or anything. It's like a black box set. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I like to imagine it's like this giant hollowed out cavern underneath his cathedral. Yeah, it's I assume it's of, like the bottom just, of the castle. It's the dungeon. The panty yep. dungeon. Yep, just full of clotheslines, of panties, um, hundreds of them. And, and this is the first time where he's just sniffing one and, and fondling it, and then he just falls over, masturbating, and goes, "Jesus fuck, Jesus fuck!" Oh, and then he falls over. It's it's hilarious to me every time. I don't know why there's just a perfect rhythm to it. It always cracks me up. <laughs> And I just write it down as fondling panties and wanking panty room. Yep. That's the one. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure I've got that written exact the same way in a a few times. And now we've got our, uh, the gunman's number one henchman, John, who is not the henchman who doesn't have to wear a mask. Interestingly. Right. Uh, uh, I guess he's, he's not pretty enough. No, he's not. Uh, basically explaining why the company is the company is broke because they can't do sex trafficking anymore because they teach tabletop dancing in school. Uh, they have used panties in vending machines, which is. That's a thing in Japan. in Japan, not really a thing elsewhere. And it's pretty uncommon in Japan. I think like it's not like they're not everywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, this is sort of a heightened version, but it's it's basically talking about how we've become pretty sexually progressive and it's starting to eat into industries that exploit sex. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like to those guys, it's a bad thing. But 
you know, it's this is a good thing. This is societal progress. Yeah. Yeah. But but it doesn't make the economy number go up, though. Oh, no. I mean, it kind of does because like it does. There's pornography. Pornography is legal. Yeah. I mean, it, it. I mean, it's got some overlap with the legal businesses at times, but, you know, most of it is legal. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So he he gives another speech because that's just what he does. And he, he ends it with, uh, now is the time for me to come like Blitzkrieg. <laughs> uh, and he does make a lot of like nazi references yeah exactly that's sort of why i got that vibe because i think it's supposed to be there like they're not going to come out and explicitly call this guy a nazi character but he's a german character he's a supervillain. you kind of gotta mix that in there it's very uh very master race yeah he's very if he's not a nazi he he would it's only because he would think that they're not Nazi enough. Right. It's it's not like he's his own special flavor of it, but like he is this ultra conservative. He's not really about the country. He's about himself. He's more of a cult leader, but similar concept, similar ideology. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we cut back to uh, the gunman's cathedral. <laughs> Meanwhile, at the masturbation palace... He's teaching the Smurf the art of panty sniffing because it's an art and not a superpower. And it's something you can teach somebody, apparently. And it seems to sort of be because, like, he's not great at it, but he's better than any human would be. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. He gets Uh, some stuff right. Well, no, he gets everything wrong because the woman is actually a brunette. And he said she was blonde. And he said she was short, but she's tall. And she's not a schizophrenic she's a kleptomaniac so he, yeah i guess he did get all of them wrong but he didn't get all of them very wrong i guess no he was close and also the fact that he got anything at all yeah because it's absurd just an absurd concept and, and then he says and the most vital thing you forgot your nasal spray oh right <laughs> and he's like saying and he's explaining to him, like, you don't want to end up like me. You need to get a girlfriend or oh, what does he say? One porno, one prostitute today. So vital. Yeah, because that's sort of his whole thing is he was brought up in this monastery and it's made him sexually awkward. Like he was brought up in a really restrictive sexual environment and it fucked him up. And yep. he's just not really able to deal with women on a normal way and he can't control his sexuality because of how repressive his upbringing was and that's interesting for a movie called the masturbating gunman that's a much more thoughtful concept than i expected going in yeah yeah it is um this movie is a lot more a lot more thoughtful and uh, i don't know if meditative is the word i want to use a lot more a lot more chill than you would expect it to be. Yeah, it's kind of a hanging out film. It's very goofy. I mean, yeah. pro- part of that obviously comes from its shot on video background that they had a pretty low budget and couldn't do a lot of big set pieces. Mm-hmm. So there's just a lot of scenes of people talking in rooms, but it doesn't feel as boring as the usual shot on video people talking in rooms stuff does because it has some things to say whereas mostly in those you just have people talking about what they did that day or what they got in groceries yeah 
<laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. This one has a feel of one of those movies, like the way it looks, but it isn't. It doesn't. No, th- this one is more. <laughs> it feels like it's made with a purpose. Yeah, so, it's got it's a thought. Weird thing. It's got concepts. It it has ideas that it wants to communicate, which is again, that's just not really what SOV horror and action are usually about. No, this is... And this is a gory movie where a guy is constantly coming on himself (laughs) in his own face. (laughs) (laughs) This movie is so weird. Um, It's so much better than it should be. But it's... uh, I don't know. Um, Let's see. So we learned that that he's been using the money from his detective thing to uh, give to... Uh, actually his sister who is a nun who runs an orphanage mm-hmm. and she doesn't approve of what he she doesn't approve of what he does and he's like well the kids still need the money right and so she she begrudgingly takes it i guess this is the arrangement between them so between giving all the money to the orphanage and giving the rest of his money to sex workers to try to get his get his rocks off he probably doesn't have a lot of money i don't well, think i mean he, he he does have that whole cathedral. I guess uh, he's he kind of just like he's set up now, and now all of it just goes to charity. You know, like he's yeah. just he's doing the good work now that he's in place. But he, he has his panty hoard. Yeah, but he doesn't have a car. True. And he kind of needs one because, uh, well, he does manage to get places. I guess he gets there eventually. Um, so then, now it's time to check in on uh, the Smurf who apparently lives in a field with goats. And oh, yeah, that's there. so that's... weird. I totally forgot about that. Yeah. What is the deal with that? Because we cut back to that a few times where he's just in the goat field. Like, <sighs> he'll just wake up with them. <laughs> yeah, he wakes up with them. This is where he lives. Um, Are we he supposed... gets up, he feeds the goats, and then he goes to work. Are we supposed to gather from this that he is sleeping with them in some way? Like... In a carnal sense, more than just a I physically sleeping among them sense. I didn't get that impression at all. But... I don't get the impression, but I wonder if that's a conclusion we're maybe supposed to draw. I mean, I guess if in this movie, if it were a conclusion we'd supposed to draw, we we would have <laughs> a, a crazy scene of it of some sort. Yeah, no, this is just... But it would um... be hard to do at this budget level and still make it funny and not horrifying no this is just him frolicking with goats in the shire yeah for for a few minutes he's a Um, weird dude i do not get this character at all (laughs) he's he's one of those characters that makes no sense why they would be there he's like he's like a denny from the room like he's very what is this Denny-esque. guy's relation? How, where did he come from? How did he meet these people? Why is he with these people? Why is he like this? Yeah, what is this guy's deal? And every scene, I'm like, what is this guy's deal? I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, we never find out. No, I mean, he's just got the goats. And he wants to become a panty-sniffing detective. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have... The gunman standing alone on a beach. Uh, we, we get this a lot, too. Mm-hmm. Um, just with, like, s- somber music playing as the waves go crashing by. It's kind of like guess, how he unwinds. I guess. 
I mean, other one than of the ways he, yeah, outlines. you know. So uh, we cut back to the villains, and he's berating them because they couldn't find a virgin, not a single virgin in the city of a hundred of one point four million, yeah, and he none. just can't believe it. Well, they don't seem to be very good at it. They like I don't know what sort of methods they're using because we don't see them looking ever. No, we. But I don't know how they're finding this out anyways. So obviously they do hit upon kidnapping a nun. And of course the nun they kidnap is the sister. Right, right. So yeah, um, they they kidnap the sister, but not before we get another uh, look into the panty shrine. Of course. The pantry. <laughs> the panty tree. Mm. The panty tree. Mm, pantry. I like pantry better. Yeah, okay, it's the pantry. <laughs> so yeah, <where> he's <laughs> wank in panty chamber again. Jesus fuck is what Jesus I wrote down. So what the, we're on like the third or fourth time now. Something like that. Something like that. But but it's always like got this music like this is gonna be like an artful scene, but never is. It just, but they always build it up a little bit more like it's going to be like, this is going to be the one where he overcomes what he, and then, nope. It sort of feels like the opening to like a masterpiece theater or something. <laughs> it's weird. It's It's got like this really stately tone. Like he's in a castle, he's well-dressed and he's got all these panties on lines and like, he's got a very serious expression. He'll reach out, he'll pull one off the thing and go... <laughs> And then he just can't contain himself. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus, fuck. So we've got the minions going after the nun. Uh, The the it's a ski mask minion and the important minion. This guy's a bald guy with a goatee. Um, His I think his dad is friends with the boss or something. So he's important. Right. Right. And that's why he doesn't have to wear a mask. Well, and he also, I think he says it's because he's so attractive, because he's such a right. good-looking guy. Right, he he really Unlike looks, the rest of you. He looks <laughs> like, pretty Aryan, you know? He does have kind of an Aryan look to him. He kind of looks like Stone Cold Steve Austin. He kind of looks like a less jacked Stone Cold Steve Austin. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so they, they're going after the nun. Uh, the nun realizes she's being targeted, so pointedly drops her panties on the ground and i'm just like oh oh i know what she's doing she's leaving a trail so that her brother can rescue her of course which Um, okay so a really hinge point of this movie is that he spends most of the rest of the movie sniffing his sister's panties that's weird (laughs) it gets weirder than that too well yes yeah um uh yeah we haven't so, got to the sex scenes. <laughs> no, no, we have not. Uh, there's there's a few of those. One really extended one. Yeah. Um, so our villain is measuring his dick when when the minions bring the nun in, and apparently they have to watch. Of course, because it's a cult. Yeah. You think people wouldn't be watching Rock Terrio measure his dick? Come on. Uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Oh my god. 
Uh, yeah, but he he's not going to have sex with her yet. Not for a really, really, really long time, actually. Now, he's, he's got this whole elaborate plan first. Yeah. I don't, I don't remember. Yeah, um, it's, it's like this whole thing that he has to do, like, it's like a seasoning process, basically. Yeah, yeah. So, the gunman, meanwhile, is just fighting random people by the river, uh, mm. killing them, murdering them. Um, sometimes using his guns, sometimes just ripping out their organs and throwing them at other minions. Yeah, there's a lot of, like, just pulling out people's intestines, pulling, just like sticking his hand into someone and pulling out gushy stuff. When he gets a phone call from the Smurf that his sister's been kidnapped. Of course. He's like, well, I'm on the case. Yeah. So uh, he investigates the church and finds the panties pretty much right away. Mm-hmm. And then as he's, and the, and the Smurf's like, let me go with you. Let me go with you. And the gunman gives him this whole lecture about about how he's not ready, he's not good enough. And then the Smurf is like, why do you treat me so bad? And the gunman just goes off on him like uh, about how he was treated so much worse. And it's like, yeah, you know what? I bet I never did this to you. And then he just punches the Smurf once <laughs> in the gut, once in the face, and then, and then goes off. Yeah, and th- this is sort of where we get the the background that he was in the monastery, and that that's why he's so sexually repressed. That he just did not have any sort of outlet, and it totally fucked him up. Yep, yep. Um, now we have a whole bunch of scenes of him just walking through the countryside, like by train tracks or in a field or whatever, just sniffing these panties, like thoughtfully. Trying- Thoughtfully, yeah. His sister's panties. Yes. Um, and just his like his sister the nun's panties. Yeah, his sister the nun. And it just like all sorts of different places, you know. Usually woody wooded, kinda unpopulated areas. It's finding his way <laughs> to the villain's lair. Um, he sees some discarded porno mags in a <laughs> in a field and he has to stop to have a wank and Jesus fuck. Of course. Yeah, right. He, yeah. he just finds some discarded porno and just instantly he's enraptured by it. <laughs> and it's got like this weird like synth music playing. Like what's happening is like he's on like an epic journey. Um, oh, it's it's so. <laughs> but he's he's in his like he's in his uh, masturbating gunman getup, which is just yeah, coveralls his... and the the gimp mask. It's it's Michael Myers, but with a gimp mask, basically. Yeah. Uh, so we cut back to our villain who is about to go have sex with the nun and he's like, she doesn't have panties. Why doesn't she have panties? And he's just it, does it not completely, understand. Yeah, it puts him off his game completely. Yeah, yeah. Like, this is, I guess this was when he was going to have sex with her and make the baby. But now she's, this changes everything, apparently. Uh, and he's like, why wouldn't she have panties? And one of the minions is like, Maybe she took them off so that somebody could find her. Maybe. The, wait a second, sister. What is your last name? Oh, my <laughs> name is Sister Mary. Whatever. You're the sister of the masturbating gunman. Oh, the masturbating gunman is a legend in prison, but he has one weakness. So he, <laughs> so he has minions uh, order. 
uh, order these, uh, get these sex workers to come. And yes. just waiting for them to show up. A, a brigade of them. <laughs> but meanwhile, the sister has some plans of her own. She sure does. Um, we, we first we see a scene of the minions just being completely like goofball irresponsible with their guns like spinning yeah, on like them. every single one of them yep uh like one guy just he does that thing where he like he makes a scary face and points his gun at the guy and then lowers it and then like like laughing like ah, i just fuck with you and then puts it back up with a scary face again and then it's like ah, i just fuck with you and he does that again like six times yeah like these are all guys who are really bad with controlling their guns. Very, very poor. Uh, so one of the minions is guarding the nun, and she's basically like, why don't you take off your mask? Oh, oh, I'm not allowed to. It's the policy. And she's like, what, are you a pussy? <laughs> <laughs> and, and she she starts, like, uh, berating him, like, calling him a pussy. <laughs> and, then, and then it's like, I can't remember exactly what she says to him, but basically, like, I want you to fuck me, but first you have to untie me. And you have to take the mask off. You have to take the mask off first, yeah. And I want your gun. Well, no. Does she just take it? Yeah, no, she just takes it it, uh, when he's occupied. Yeah. So, you know, she's basically rescuing herself. Um, I'm sure somewhere in here we've got scenes of him the gunman wandering around sniffing her panties trying to find her yeah we sort of have this whole sequence where it's sort of intercut with him on his way there in a series of places and her having sex with and taking the masks and guns of every single one of the henchmen yep (laughs) yeah she so I thought her thing was she was just going to take the gun from the one henchman and then shoot him and then break out. But no, right. she has sex with all of the henchmen and takes all of their guns. And hides them. And hides them. Um, we don't see where yet. We see where later. <laughs> we see where later. Uh, so. You might and, guess. Yeah, you've already <laughs> guessed. You've already guessed. So, so yeah, the and, like this this whole montage, um, and, and like they're, they're all walking funny when they get out of the room with the nun, and like some of them are stand, they're all standing in line, and and we've got the villain just taking a nap in a chair while all this is happening. It's like, oh my god, I'm just just thinking these are the dumbest henchmen ever because. They're literally supposed to be the dumbest henchmen ever, I feel. Like, that's kind of why it's prefaced with that gun scene. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And, you know, they haven't been paid in three months. Yeah, I mean, like, fuck that guy. They're done with him. Yeah. Who cares about him siring his Reich son? Weird, yeah. (laughs) We don't need it. We don't need another penis head dictator. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so... So that's all happening. Yeah, they t- take turns fucking none while Gunter is asleep. She steals her guns. Oh, and the soundtrack while this is going on is slowly being replaced with farm animal noises. Oh, yeah, that's right. Like, it's it's mixed in right from the beginning, and then it just becomes more and more prominent. Uh, until that's all it is. It's like yeah. 
farm animal noises, and, and some of them are, I think, them dying. Yeah, maybe. Uh, maybe. It's, it's, maybe. It's a weird, it's a lot of weird mix of animal noises. It's, it's so, for the, the animal sexuality. Yeah, I guess. Uh, so <laughs> the, a little girl finds the gunman passed out on the riverside. Oh, yeah. And it's like that scene in Frankenstein where he throws the girl in the water, honestly. It has the same vibe to me. <laughs> and she splashes some. She, like, looks at him, and then she just splashes some water on him to revive him, and he carries on his journey. Yep. She revived uh, him. Yep, she revived him. <laughs> meanwhile, his sister is fucking all these minions. Yeah, like, it goes on for quite a while, just like, intercut like, back and forth. Yeah, yeah, like, this is a long sequence. This is a long montage. But then he, the gunman finally is standing outside the whatever building evil lair, whatever that thing's supposed to be. Evil warehouse? It seems like just a warehouse, honestly. Yeah. And it's around this time that uh, the girls have arrived, too, apparently. Uh, but we don't see them show up with just see them later uh so he begins the assault on the base uh killing minions brutally he actually takes a saw out and saws one in half awesome (laughs) yeah and and then he goes down this corridor kills one minion and i love this sequence this is amazing this is he has to run the gauntlet (laughs) he has to run the gauntlet and this whole thing is just so brilliant because it's so long he kills a minion, like, immediately, and then a sexy girl comes out of her room, and she does her sexy dance, and he's got to get seduced, and then he's got to fall over, and he's got to start masturbating, and then he comes all over his face, and this is a whole process, and we're seeing this whole thing, and then he gets up and walks past the girl, another Minion attacks him, and he just punches the guy, and he dies immediately. And then another girl comes out and is making this the same music, and then we have the same damn thing happening with her doing her sexy dance. And I'm taking a huge amount of time to explain it because I need you to understand how long this scene is. Because, well, it happens like six times. Yeah. There's like six girls, isn't there? Or is it eight? Um, <laughs> it's actually three. Oh, it is three? It felt it like so three, many. It, I know. Because, <laughs> like, we go through the entire process each time just to see just how much energy he's putting into masturbating. And just, like, he really has to. It, it's getting harder each time. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it is. It's more challenging. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. We see he's like beginning to lose his vision, and he's having trouble standing up. Right, his vision and, does and, like, by the by the t- by the third one, he's like just can barely stand. But then he soldiers on. <laughs> yeah, and, and at no point does anybody attack him while he's on the floor masturbating. It never happens the closest we get to this happening is when the uh at the beginning when the one guy was trying to take his gun and he had to finish but other than that no (laughs) i mean one of the problems is that none of the the henchmen had their guns anymore oh yeah that's that's a huge problem (laughs) because he's unconscious now he went himself into uh oblivion 
uh, yeah, he's not able to see straight. Oh yeah, so the villain's like, we, how could we get a firing squad when the only gun that we have is the one that we stole from him? That's not a firing squad. <laughs> and where are all the guns? Yeah, where's all the guns? And then we find out where all the guns are. <laughs> uh, not yet, but oh, no, we not will. yet. Not no, yet. Quite soon. No, no. Smurf comes to the rescue. He oh, shows up. He shows up. Uh, and he sees like a bloody dead henchman, and then he throws up, like vomits against like into the wall, and then leaves. And that that's that's the end of him. <laughs> right. He can't uh, take the heat. Yeah. So the gunman is coming to, and the uh, the villain is taunting him uh, with his own gun. And he's like, oh, we finally have you, you masturbating gunman. I'm going to be God, blah, 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 blah. And, and he's on the ground uh, right in front of his sister, uh, the nun, who's tied up to a chair and... She reveals all the guns. <laughs> not yet, not yet, but we no, we got to do this part. I don't remember. <laughs> oh, well. I don't know what you're talking uh, about. She's uh, pulling up her dress so that he can see her panties so that he starts masturbating. Oh, yeah, that's and right. And he weaponizes his cum like Spider-Man right. using his web to uh, shoot, to blind the eyes of the henchman and knock the gun out of the one dude's hand. Yeah, like he's he's shooting like really thick ropes that just like splat into people and stick like plasticine. Yeah, and then he masturbates so hard that he rips his cock off. And then the nun gets up and now we find out where right. she's hiding the guns. She... Where you would guess. <laughs> They, they uh, all come out. She stands up and they all drop to the floor wet. Yeah, I've got it written. The masturbating nun um, getting all the guns? Yeah, so, so these all these drops, soaping wet guns. Um, this whole room is covered in just different fluids of, like, blood. And... It's a very fluidy movie. Like, yeah. this and Wild Boys are the most fluidy movies I've ever seen. So so he takes his gun and shoots the villain and or not his gun, but one of the guns anyway. One of the guns. Looks at his cock that fell off and he's like, I'm cured. <laughs> and, and then, then they leave and the minions who only the only thing that happened to them uh, is they got cum shot in their eyes are also apparently dead. So I'm guessing it's cum killed them. I mean, it was th those are hard shots. <laughs> I guess, I guess. Yeah. So the, meanwhile, the Smurf saved his dick and put it in a box and tied it around the neck of a goat. <laughs> in tribute. Yeah, and we've got a, f and then we get a freeze frame of the gunman and the Smurf walking down the road together. Uh, cut to credits. Yeah. Uh, weird thing. Weird. Weird. Very strange. Uh, it's 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 very unique. Like as a video project, a lot of them are very strange, and a lot of them tend to be very specific to their makers because you know, a shot on video movie has no studio oversight typically. 
or any oversight. You know, it's made by one auteur. <laughs> and and I find auteur theory especially interesting as it applies to SOV because that's the kind of stuff that auteurists don't like. <laughs> but I like trash auteurs. I, I really like trash. <laughs> well, hey, this movie had a story. It had a conflict. It had a revolution, resolution. It had a protagonist, an antagonist, a goal, um, an arc. He cured his problem. Oh, yes, we see he's in the we, – we end with him in the panty room, uh, the pantry, not having to masturbate and just being like uh, – At peace in his panty peace. room. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this movie that I thought was going to be just stupid trash and it still – is feels like an art movie it's kind of clever it's it's a lot more clever than you would expect going in and it kind of keeps surprising you with either things that are completely ridiculous and disgusting or absurd or things that are kind of smarter than you'd expect it to be or or a little bit more thoughtful or a little bit just more weird and interesting it's just a, an an unusually self-reflective thing, which again, the self-reflexivity is interesting in uh, in light of the whole masturbation theme that we've got going for both of, both of our films this week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a theme of masturbation. That's what that's what I wanted. <laughs> I picked the movie, so I can't can't complain. Totally by accident on the the adaptation one, but it's a the, the, that's a that's a good pairing as it turned out. Yeah. So, uh, any final thoughts on The Masturbating Gunman before we move on to our final section? I don't get what was up with the Smurf. No idea. I, I, I don't never, get that guy. We, we never find anything out. He walks with a weird, like, Igor limp. And the goat stuff, I don't I don't know. It's It's a whole element that I'm not totally clear on what it's about. And maybe it's an Australian thing. Maybe. I know sheep are a really big Australian thing. So there's a lot of sheep in New Zealand and Australia, like a lot. Uh, I think more than there are people. So maybe it's kind of related to something like that. I, I have no idea. I don't get that guy. Weird. Nope. <laughs> weird, weird guy. Um, well, maybe he will be the new masturbating gunman one day. Well, hopefully he won't have to. <laughs> oh, he could just be the gunman. Yeah, they can both be gunmen. <laughs> but yeah, quite a thing. Very unusual. And like, if if you can get past all of the fluids and blood and guts, because like you, you kind of have to have a particular approach to the sort of films you watch to appreciate something like this, I feel. And the fact that masturbating to his sister was what finally quote-unquote cured him by making him masturbate so hard that he rips his own dick off well i feel it's also because he's gone through the gauntlet at this point and that like now he just needs to really amp it up and and it's also because he's shooting the, the hard ones that kill people <laughs> When yeah. you're shooting those death shots, that's that's when you're at the end of the line, I guess. At the end of your rope. Yeah, end of your ropes. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I think that's... We can probably put a bow on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that one is... Hanging around to... a goat's neck. 
and yeah. uh, we're we're probably good. Uh, so we'll head on into part three. And we are back for our third and final section of the evening. And we're uh, going to be talking about movies watched in the last week and decide we're going to watch next week. Yeah. So did Charlie Kaufman uh, ever speak, actually get to meet Susan Orlean? Do we I know? Uh, I think they met when they they gave the pitch to make the movie this way. Oh, I, I like well. It is possible that he met her at some time in the writing process. Like, I'm not really sure how much of it is based in reality in terms of his actual act of adaptation. I just know that the Susan Orlean stuff is. But yeah, it's fascinating. I like I, I think Kaufman, I don't like he's never done a commentary track or anything on it. It's really a drag. This movie was supposed to come out. Uh, from Criterion years and years ago. And it's why I did not own it on Blu-ray until quite recently is because I was just waiting for the Criterion release of it. And then it finally just came out from uh, Shout Shout Select, uh, which is the version we were reviewing today. And uh, pretty bare bones. It's just the same stuff that was on the old DVD that I rented back in like 2004. Oh, wow. So kind of disappointing. Like, I'd l- this is one that I'd love to see some more analysis, some critical appreciation on. It's yeah, there's, such a fascinating there's a movie. lot. There's a lot to say about it, and I haven't heard anything. There's so much to unpack. Yeah. Uh so first thing I watched last week, we've got the Dirt Bike Kid. Uh, this has been on the list before. I rewatched this. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so. It's a Peter Billingsley movie, you know, the kid from A Christmas Story. Okay, yeah. It's a couple years after that, and it's a movie about him as, I guess, kind of a troubled tween, but not really troubled. He's kind of annoying to his mom because he's completely obsessed with dirt bikes. Uh, And then... Okay. And, like, just completely obsessed. And he uses their last $50 in grocery money and trades his BMX for this really beat up dirt bike that turns out to be magical and can fly. And it's basically ET, but a dirt bike. Oh yeah. We, we, we've talked about this briefly before. Yeah. Except it's powered by rebellion. So like the, the bike gets powered up when people talk about fighting the man and stuff. So it's, it's about (laughs) uh, Peter Billingsley just having this battle with a local banker. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) It's it's weird, <laughs> but you know it's pretty fun. All right. Uh, what what prompted this rewatch? Because he said because we have. I yeah, needed this something has been on the to list watch before. I needed something to watch with my parents. <laughs> and I was oh, like, this would work. <laughs> I see. I know you don't want to. A Christmas story a billion times. with your parents. No. No. And, and like it, it has to be one eight five one or one seven eight one because it has to fit the TV. So I, that also limits the choices. <laughs> okay, well. Anyway. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, next up is Eyes of Fire, the first uh, film in the uh, the folk horror box from Severn. The All the Haunts Be Ours. Oh yeah, that. Um, the now the cover. Uh, or the poster or whatever it is I'm looking at on the letterboxd mm-hmm. kind of reminds me of Pan's Labyrinth, which I also haven't seen. Oh, that's a good movie. Well, uh, I have a, a box for the, like I have the three 
early uh, films of his uh, in a set from Criterion. We should totally do those sometime. Oh, we should. We should. Uh, th- this Eyes of Fire, I think it may be the only movie by this director. It's a very interesting, weird, eerie folk horror thing. And I, I mentioned Rock Terrio when we were discussing masturbating gunmen uh, as just like this the serial killer supervillain thing uh, because the, the some of the plot of this sort of echoed that and I kind of wonder if it was sort of uh, inspired by it to some extent like not in oh. terms of what he did but in terms of just the setup of it because it's uh. it's so it's set in like uh indistinguishable past i I think it's like salem witch trials era maybe a little bit after because it's this priest who's being run out of town as an adulterer and he's sort of a cult leader like he's kind of starting up a little cult and like he gets a few people allied with him to leave with him uh, including you know the lady who uh he was sleeping with and whose husband is just sort of away because he's like a, a trapper because okay. this is that era you know this is yeah. like settlement era i guess yeah um and they they go into this forbidden valley which the shawnee never enter and it's because it's uh it's the domain of this forest witch or forest spirit who looks exactly like the thing in mulholland drive behind the dumpsters I I it's very possible that David Lynch like explicitly made it look like this thing. Oh, it's it's that close. Yeah, it's like I I would not be surprised if it is the direct inspiration. Uh and yeah, so they're they're in this creepy forest with this witch uh and it it sort of it, it will take them and they become part of the forest and like there are faces in the trees and stuff. Uh really cool, very eerie interesting stuff that's that sounds cool yeah uh next up we have the crimson cult aka curse of the crimson altar and because of the movie i just watched and what's going on in my brain at this moment i read it as uh the crimson altar (laughs) yeah it's it's kind of a weird font just glancing at the font on the thumbnail of the next one just looks like it says come shot so i mean the masturbating gunman's kind of just poisoned my brain for the next eh, probably couple days we'll wait until we get to smut without smut uh but first one (laughs) here is so curse of the crimson altar it's pretty trashy it's it's sort of late 60s gothic horror and it's a little tongue-in-cheek and a little self-aware uh like there's a part where these people are coming into the castle and they're like oh well i'll worry when boris karloff shows up uh and it of course does have boris karloff and christopher lee both which is cool so it's got like you know some pedigree it's just like they're it's this guy who goes to look for his brother who fell afoul of this witch cult uh they're worshippers of lavinia uh the black witch of graymarsh interesting and so they he goes to this small this little village where uh christopher lee and boris karloff uh are kind of running things and they're cult leaders or whatever for this witch uh you know it's it's pretty trashy it's it's not as it's not as good as you'd figure with all of these people in it and it's also barbara Steele, legend 
gothic actress as Lavinia. I think she's even played Lavinia in other movies before. Yeah, it was not bad, though. It was it was so so. Uh, Next up is Arabato, a.k.a. Rapture. Wow. So I've completely read that wrong. Uh, entirely. <laughs> <laughs> this is a very interesting movie. Uh, it's it's about this guy who he's a filmmaker and he's I think he's completed one film and he just meets this really weird dude who is just creepy and is obsessed with film and he makes his own little uh, tiny films just like by himself but his camera is like haunted or a vampire or something. Okay. All right. And like it's it's sort of about addiction in a lot of ways, so both to drugs and cinema. So this the this director and his girlfriend are both completely addicted to heroin, and they're they receive this box of films and a tape, like an audio tape, narrating them from this guy, and they're just watching them unravel and watching just all the crazy images. It's like them watching the ring tape for like six days while on heroin. Oh god. Uh, and they they just kind of they they sort of devolve and just what's happening in his creepy film that sort of is chronicling what's the deterioration of his own life uh, through his cinema addiction, uh, like self filming addiction, uh, and just how it's sort of absorbing him. Uh, very interesting, very very strange movie. Uh, it's a uh, Spanish, I believe. Okay. Um, sounds like it almost is kind of like a similar premise. Sounds like not similar premise, but it sounds a little parallel to adaptation in that it's this weird. Yeah. Um, like it's sort of the other end of it. It's it's like the output of or and and sort of the it's the the act of making the film, uh, rather than the act of writing the script, uh-huh. and just like the the toll of that. And it's it's very interesting. Uh, actually, something I, sh- I meant to mention when we we're talking about adaptation, uh, because it's about writing the film, but the film about making itself is uh, Fellini's Eight and a Half, because that is a film that is about the making of itself. Very strange. And oh, like yes. as a script, like it's a fiction film about the making of this film. Mm-hmm. Okay, Very cool. interesting recursive stuff. But yeah, Arabato, really great. Right. Uh, <clears throat> next up, The Kindred. And this is a classic 80s splattery horror flick, a uh, big rubber tentacle monster. Uh, it, it's it's this guy's mother. She I can't remember what happens to her. I think she has a stroke or something. And he goes to see her in the hospital and she's like panicked about this thing she's been working on secretly. And she says, you need to burn the Anthony journals. It's your brother, Anthony. Uh, and that's that's the the, the tentacle monster. Uh, and like he goes to the house and he he goes with a bunch of students because like he's a professor or something and they're going to go clean up the place and just figure out everything. And, you know, one by one, people start getting taken out by this big, gross tentacle monster. All right. It's pretty fun, like really great effects. Very gooshy, like as gooshy uh, as masturbating gunmen at times. They're, oh. they're like... I, I think I wrote in my review of it on Letterboxd about it being it, it having like there, there's Rod Steiger is in this movie and a classic Hollywood actor. And uh, he gets pulled down to under the floorboards by the tentacle beast. But first he gets like a real money shot on him first. by It <laughs> It tends to goosh on people. 
Uh, next up is Smut Without Smut Satanic Horror Night. <laughs> so this is the second Smut Without Smut. It's uh, by AGFA, uh, their, the, the American Genre Film Archive. Uh, and they, they, they're restorationists and they have just all of these completely bizarre genre films. And just like they, they sort of are interested in restoring and preserving the trash that nobody else is. Right, right. So it's like four or five really bizarre Satan-themed stag porno films, but they've edited them all together into a mixtape without any hardcore, added some trailers and an intermission. It's like five movies. It's still only like less than 80 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) And it's weird. It's very, very weird. (laughs) All right. Uh, and the last one is Strange Behavior. Uh, uh, I, I watched it under the title Dead Kids. It's a really key Ozploitation picture. Uh, it's got Auckland, New Zealand standing in for Illinois because it's supposed okay. to be set in the American suburbs. Uh, and it's this, it's a mad science film. It's this mad scientist who's programming various teens to murder people like to turn them into serial killers okay uh it's it's weird it's very grungy it's got just a strange energy uh the this is the one i mentioned the killer the first killer is uh, a teen in a tor johnson mask <laughs> oh yeah right i remember that yeah and it's got a score by tangerine dream uh like synth score classic synth act uh they, they did a lot of important uh film work okay cool all right, so th- not a lot of uh, selections this week, but I think pretty strong ones altogether. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm definitely definitely thinking uh, Eyes of Fire this time. Right on. Eyes of Fire can start in the folk horror series. Yeah. Dig into yeah. it. Uh, so far, I'm pretty impressed. So right. that brings us to the additions, uh, and the first of which would be the next one there, Lepterica which is a Serbo-Croatian folk horror movie. Uh, It's about a peasant who wants to marry the daughter of a landowner, uh, so he gets a job, but at his job there are vampires. Okay. (laughs) I I, I don't know. I've heard people describe it as being, like, comically bad, but it's... I don't know. I'm I'm interested. (laughs) It sounds weird. Next up is a pretty big one. Uh, Battles Without Honor and Humanity. This is the first in the Yakuza Papers series, which is sort of like the Japanese equivalent to The Godfather in terms of Yakuza. Oh, okay. It's sort of okay. respected on the same level. Uh, it's this series of five films, I think eight actually, like there's a second series that were made later by the same director. Uh, and it's sort of just about the rise of the Yakuza in post-war Japan, like specifically in the region around Hiroshima. Oh, all right. Uh, very well respected, supposed to be excellent. Uh, next up is Detention, which is based on the video game. Are you familiar with this? No, I'm not. So it's a, a horror, I think it's a survival horror game set in Taiwan during the, uh, white terror martial law. And it's about this high school girl who wakes up in her school and it's totally empty and everybody everywhere is gone. Like, it's just totally abandoned. She finds one other student and just the whole place is haunted. So it seems very Silent Hill-esque, but with, like, a Taiwan political element to it. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. 
Uh, next, I don't know much about Taiwan history, so maybe... I don't okay, know that's... a whole lot about that one either. Yeah. yeah. Uh, next is Revenge of the Living Dead Girls, which is about this corrupt French company uh, who put... who like they, they don't want to dispose of their waste chemicals, and they put them in a milk truck for some reason, <laughs> and three girls die from tainted milk, and obviously, you know, they come back to get revenge as of zombies. Course. Yeah. <laughs> uh, next up, Evil Dead Trap, which is a pretty notorious Japanese movie. This is about this documentary crew going to an abandoned factory to investigate uh, a report about a snuff film. And here it's really grungy, really extremely gory. It's a very oh. notorious picture. I've never seen it before, but I've been meaning to. All right. And last one is L.A. Bounty. Uh, this is a Wings Hauser picture where he is like a supervillain. He kidnaps the mayor uh, and they get Sybil Danning as the super tough bounty hunter whose partner he killed at some point to go after him. Sounds completely fucking rad. <laughs> oh, man. I wonder if Wings Hauser is going to be sober. I don't know. Or, or... <laughs> I believe it when I see it. Yeah. <laughs> so. For our main pick this week, we are continuing our resolutions. So our thing is we're going to do the next one in a series we've been covering. Ah, yes. Okay. So I have the whole list here of the the various series. So we've got The Tale of Zatoichi continues, Uh obviously continuing Zatoichi. Yeah. Uh, We could do either of the Ring sequels. Oh, yes, yes. There's Star Trek, the motion picture, or Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. Uh-huh. Uh, we've got Friday the 13th, either one or two. Right. Uh, there's Malibu Express, the next in the Andy Sedaris films. Oh, okay. Uh, for Al Adamson, obviously, we've got the female bunch, as discussed mm-hmm. last week. Uh, John Carpenter, I guess pretty much anything, but I, I guess I suppose Dark Star we have as the representative because we, we okay, kind of didn't yeah. do Carpenter in order. Yeah, we um, just kind of did it. Yeah, we, we just did a bunch of them. Uh, so Outlaw Gangster VIP 2, because we, we did the first of those. Oh, yeah, uh, that's right. For Sukamoto, we of course have Bullet Ballet. Uh, for Gamera, we've got Gamera versus Gauss. Uh, there is Halloween 2, uh, of course, for a few dollars more, the, oh, yeah. the second in the Fistful series, or the Dollars trilogy. Uh, we've got Spook Warfare, the second Yokai, and Godzilla Raids Again, the second Godzilla. Oh, boy. We've, we got a few. Kind of, I want to see all of these. Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll certainly get to all of these. Yeah, we'll get to them. I don't know when. <laughs> um. Are there any are there any of these in particular that you haven't seen yet? Uh, or or I that you like, I mean there's there's a bunch that I haven't watched. Like I've never watched more of Outlaw Gangster. I haven't okay. seen the Ring sequels. I haven't seen Bullet Ballet. Okay, uh, so I haven't yeah, seen Spook Warfare. Well, um uh, you know what? I <laughs> What you feeling? I'm into whatever, because I'd love to watch any of these. Yeah, no kidding. Why don't we... Why don't we go back to our roots? Wasn't our fir- very first one the first Zatoichi movie? That was the, it was think, indeed. the first one that we talked about? It was. So why don't we revisit that series and All do right. 
The Tale of Zatoichi continues. All right, The Tale of Zatoichi continues, wherein he returns to the same town. Oh, Interesting. Oh. Uh, to to oh, wow. see where things are Didn't a year think later. Going back so quick. Indeed. Uh, all right, so that's that's all for this week. Uh, next week we'll be discussing uh, Eyes of Fire and uh, the Tale of Zatoichi continues. A story about eyes and a story about a guy who doesn't use his. Yeah. So that should be fun. Uh, kind of not not quite as a cl- not uh, not as much of a thematic uh, pairing this time. <laughs> oh well, <you laughs> but, never but it was know. a surprise it might last be. time. It was a surprise. We, we, we might find a way to link them together. I'm good at that. <laughs> we'll look for something. All we'll right, find something. <laughs> uh, so thanks very much for listening, and uh, keep watching the stacks. <laughs>